Ladies and gentlemen, recorded in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. It's time for Bite Night Picks with your host, Frank and Matt Allen. Just like that, we're back and we're getting set for UFC 286. It's the trilogy fight in the main Wait, event. Did we just have a pay per view? Oh, we did, but we're getting set for this big time card from London. As always, one half your hosting duo, Craig Allen. Twitter and Instagram at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right. Respective socials, Matt Allen, FNP. He's the guy in the toque, and he's getting set for a big-time fight card. And as I alluded to, I mean, it's a trilogy fight, welterweight title, Leon Edwards unsuccessful the first time out. The second time out, it was a performance bonus for the ages. The fifth round, they're writing his eulogy and his obituary all at it's once. Incredible. All of a sudden, Edwards pulls out that crazy head kick knockout over Usman, who is on his way to earning GOAT status if you listen to anybody out there, namely the UFC's wow. president, Dana yeah. White. But a big-time opportunity for Usman to pick up where he left off. And when you look down through this card, possible fight of the year on paper in that co-main event, lightweights battling it out. Rafael Faziv back at Tiger Muay Thai, that is. which is a story all over the card. So many Tiger Muay Thai fighters on this one and taking on the human highlight reel known as Justin Gaethje. Lots of debuts on this card. Lots of ranked fighters as well. And kind of something for everyone on this pay-per-view Oh, card. without a doubt. I'm so happy that they're giving Leon Edwards a hometown fight after he won the title. Because he more than deserves it. That was one of the most dramatic title it, finishes in UFC it, history. And it's not like Edwards went to Texas or he went somewhere like Vegas. He went to Salt Lake City to fight Usman yeah, the second time. He got it out the mud. Or got it out the salt plains. I don't really know what's in Utah other than the Jazz. But and Mormon. For Leon Edwards, he had a great performance last time out. And I know we've almost become accustomed to having these incredible fifth round comebacks in these title fights as of late. But for Leon Edwards, that was one of the greatest fights I have ever seen. One of the greatest performances I have ever seen. But like you had said, Kamara Usman was getting his resume together to at least go up against GSP to become the Walter Waite GOAT. Now, for me, it was going to take a little bit more work than just beating a guy like Leon Edwards, but I love the storyline of Kamara Usman going to the hometown of the man who took the belt from him. If he wins this trilogy, I'm not ready to say he's the greatest of all time, but the resume is looking pretty good all of a sudden. I just think that main event is so much fun, and the great thing about this card is, too, it's a deep one. There is a ton of fun fights. There's a lot of competitive fights from top to bottom, so I'm really excited to break them down. The Birmingham brothers, the back outside boys, Leon Edwards and his younger brother Fabian, the two guys getting it done with Bellator in the UFC. Matt, a lot of big-time cards. We're going to throw it on over to our fight of the night screen let us know down below in the comment section who you have 15 total fights There's a lot you're not wrong till saturday night let us know who you have in the fight of the night let us know down below in the comment section who you've got it's time for the fight of the night with fight night picks as we said on paper on papier matt i mean justin gaethje taking on rafael fazeev and if you look at it for fazeev in his last six fights, he's won them all, and five of those have ended with him picking up an extra 50k. He's taking on the human highlight reel, a guy who's had multiple fights of the year oh, yeah. in Justin Gaethje. For Gaethje, he's coming off an unsuccessful title bid, and that's happened twice for him in the UFC, but Gaethje, I mean, he was a World Series champ forever. He's 6-4 and four in the UFC, but he doesn't know anything but... 
a fun fight. So both these guys get an opportunity to really right the ship for Fazeev. Possible title shot for Gaethje. Another win gets him right back into the mix set. Two top-ranked lightweights in this fight. I know you're down to clown for this one. Uh, this is an incredible fight. Justin Gaethje has known nothing but entertainment and excitement throughout his UFC tenure. And we knew what we were getting when he came to the UFC. It wasn't a question mark as to, oh, is Justin Gaethje going to be exciting? But the fact that he never changed his style whatsoever, I guess at a certain point he has become a little bit more technical as he's gone on, but still the fact that he is still that knockout, get knocked out kind of a fighter is incredible. And for Fazeev, he's almost that Gaethje 2.0 a little bit. Now, no, he doesn't eat as many big shots. He doesn't have the wrestling background. But he has also been in some incredible back and forth fights. He does eat a punch or two to give his own. So I just think when these guys meet up, it is going to be nothing but fireworks. You want fun fights to go watch before this that aren't in the UFC? Go watch the two the Gaethje had with Luis Palomino over with World Series. Oh if my you goodness. want to have a good time, Matt. Our second pick, I threw it out there on Twitter. We're filming this on Sunday today. I said people are going to be excited and all the highlights are going to be around Gaethje versus Fazeev. But gosh darn it, my favorite fight on this card, Christian Leroy Duncan taking on Dusko Todorovic. The guy brings the thunder. And if you've seen Dusko, I mean, he beat Michelle Pereira outside of the UFC, won the Serbian Looked Battle great. Championship middleweight title, and just pressed forward inside of the UFC. Multiple bonuses. And for Duncan, I mean, he had that IMMAF experience when he was an amateur. Comes into being a pro. He's undefeated. The reigning and defending Cage Warriors middleweight champ. He was supposed to take on Ultimate Fighter finale or final finalist Jesse Taylor, a guy who was supposed to be in the UFC not that long ago for that Cage Warrior belt back on well, that was New Year's Eve, and Taylor was in a hit and run, so Duncan gets signed directly that. to the UFC. I absolutely love this matchup, because if people haven't seen Duncan fight in Cage Warriors, oh my gosh, go do it right now. And this is one of those fights where, like you said, if they haven't watched him fight yet, you're going to learn everything you need to know when he fights Dusko Todorovic, a guy who is known for throwing bombs and leaving himself wide open every now and then. So, I think this is an incredible fight. And this is what we talk about when we put these fights on Fight of the Night screens. Is the winner of this going to go ahead and fight for the title next month? Probably not. But when these guys get in there, their styles are going to match up so well that I don't know how this isn't going to produce and become one of those great fights in the card. We picked two of 15. There's 13 other fights out there. You let us know down below in the comments section who you have. So many good fights remaining on this card of UFC 286. So 10 total rank fighters on the card. The long way to return. It's been about a year for Casey O'Neill after her flyweight record-setting performance against the mean. aging legend Roxanne Modafferi. You look down and up and down this entire card, Matt. Six total debuts. We have Christian Leroy Duncan. We have him in a possible fight of the night. We have Jafel Filio who's going to be taking on Mohamed Makaya. Filio, former Jungle Fights champ. You also have two rookies squaring off against one another in Sam Patterson, the future, taking on Israel's Yanal Ashmoz. Or is it Ashmoz, as he spells it on his Instagram. You can also get excited for the LFA featherweight champ, the reigning... And he's just reigning. He hasn't defended it. Gabriel Santos coming That's in on short notice. Ball. Taking on Lerone Murphy. And really, if you're going down through this and you want to try and round it out, we have somebody coming back. It's Veronica Macedo. Macedo Hardy. Where have you been? We've got a lot to talk about in that fight as well. But a lot of really, really good ones in this 
overall landscape. But I mean, with that, there's 15 total fights, so you might have to have a couple and, of Red Bulls. And you know what fight I want to give a little bit of shine to? I'm pretty excited for Jake Hadley versus Malcolm Gordon. I think Malcolm Gordon's one of those opponents who's a great fighter for any prospect to face. We know what he excels in. Banging. We know, exactly. We know what his weaknesses are in. Getting banged. Jake Hadley's one of those guys who I think the best version of him is a very promising young prospect, but there are some concerning holes in his game, and I think this fight's going to be a good one. Just kind of figure out where his overall ceiling is, but that speaks to the overall depth of this card, and kudos to the UFC as of late. Maybe I'm, uh, maybe I just love MMA too much, but I think this is a really fun card, honestly. Like, I'm really excited for Chai Herbert, Ludwig Klein. I know that's a weird one to be super fired up for, but there's a lot of really fun fights on this card. A lot of great fights to look forward to. If there's any changes throughout the week, you can find us at Fight Night Picks, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. You can also find any of those changes here on the YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe for some more of that content. We're going to be live with question mark kicks two hours before the prelims. That's going to be happening on Saturday. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Coming up this weekend, it's the long-awaited return of... Well, both of these fighters, we have the Ultimate Fighter Season 30 flyweight winner. She's coming off that big win back in August. It's the ever-aggressively nicknamed Juliana Killer Miller, representing 10th Planet in San Diego. Matt, tinfoil hats abound. Yes. It's a big-time opportunity, and out of that gym, I mean, you know the man, Eddie Bravo, but there's so many great fighters that have trained out of 10th Planet in San Diego, and even if you consider for Juliana Miller's flyweight division, former flyweight champ over with Bellator in Alima Lay McFarlane and for Miller we saw a great progression from the time as an amateur to a pro the fact that she is so good at grappling but her striking continues to make moves as she's come along this journey she gets that big win over Brogan Walker back this summer the takedowns all of them were there, and the craziest part about it is for Miller, she fights this weekend for Walker, if you liked her from the season and from her time in Invicta, she actually fights next weekend. But I say this is a big comeback because Miller, we haven't seen her since August of last year, for Veronica Macedo, Veronica Hardy, as we have on screen, we haven't seen her in about three years, and it's a very long-awaited return because... I assumed, and I'll throw the picture up there from MMA Junkie, that she was retired after the concussions exactly. and the long time away. So if you don't remember Veronica, I'm going to refer to as Hardy for the video because her Instagram says Veronica Hardy, but it's still Veronica Macedo. We're going to say Hardy for the purpose of the video. So we'll get that out there now. For Veronica Hardy, when you do watch her fight, even going back to her USC debut... She was coming in off a draw, which is kind of weird. It is. You don't see that all that often. She comes in on short notice, takes on Ashley Evans-Smith. Now, for Hardy, the fight's coming into the UFC. She was a bantamweight. So she takes on Ashley Evans-Smith at bantamweight. She has Boris Mankowski in the corner. She's training out of Ankos MMA in Poland. And that's the craziest part about it for me is the fact that for Macedo, she's built out of Venezuela. Moved to the States when she was a kid. Trained all over Europe to get ready for her fights. And she switched gyms a lot. And I had no idea. Now, I knew that she commentated for Eris, or she has in the retirement. She's commentated for the UFC and Espanol. But her accent is a mix of, like, American English and British English. And that just surprised the heck out of me. I have a question. Yes. Has the UFC just put Veronica Hardy on ice waiting for this opportunity? No. If you've listened to any of no, the no, interviews no, that I, she's had, no. This is my point, though. I If Peyton Pritchard, for instance, got hurt and retired for three years, would the Celtics welcome him back with open arms? No, Veronica Macedo had terrible concussion issues. I understand, but my big point is, was she great during her UFC tenure? 
she had shown improvements at some points, but I would say the thing that I'd expected her to excel the most in, which was a lot of the grappling, she did struggle with that a lot in her UFC tenure. Now, I understand she had fought some good grapplers, Jillian Robertson I being one of them, of course. She has good Muay Thai, but again, nothing that Hardy had done, I had really thought was at such a high level to where, okay, we're going to keep her around through all of this. And I understand those are uh, difficult troubles and injuries that you can't just put off to the side, but still, I'm just confused as to why she isn't taking more kind of warm-up fights on the regional scene, because for me, that's kind of where Hardy should be. She's still very young in her career. When I had initially thought of this fight, I was like, oh my goodness, Hardy's got to be, what, in her mid-30s? Miller's the one kind of on her way up, but the thing is, they're pretty close in age, and I do think for Hardy, there was a good skill set to try to develop on and I'm surprised they're just throwing her back in there because right now she is a big underdog against someone who does offer sort of the yin to her yang with the MMA game. Miller's going to go for a lot of takedowns. Hardy's going to try to keep this one on the feet and if Hardy doesn't win this one, what do they do after that? I, I just feel like they're not giving her the best of chances to come back to the organization. For me, it would have been nice to see her and th they haven't really done this and I've always been a big fan of this. Hey, bring fighters back on a thing like Contender Series. I think it's a great thing if they get the win there, then it gives them a great reset to come back. I'm just surprised that this is the matchup they're going with for Hardy. That's all. A three-in-one fighter? That surprises you? But it's a three-in-one fighter who had won the Ultimate Fighter, who has a lot of amateur experience based off the Ultimate Fighter, because those are amateur fights, of course. They're for Hardy, fights. Except, either way, there are still fights that they had that are not counted towards her record, so there's still fights. And for Hardy, it's not like she has a wealth of experience either. I know she's had more fights in the UFC, but they haven't necessarily been going her way. My only point is, I just feel like for Hardy, there was a better way to cut or to reintroduce her, I guess, to the UFC because I think Miller is going to be oddly the bigger fighter. We were talking about this before we started filming. I know Macedo, sorry, Hardy was the one who had fought at a higher weight class, but still Miller frame-wise is very large and I think she is going to use her frame to really try to wrap her up with some of those clinches. She's not a perfect comparison, but a lot of what Miller does remind me of Jessica Penne and I know Penne was a fighter who her prime was a little bit a while ago. A lot of people won't remember her for the, I guess, the highs that she had, but Miller's someone who is going to try to wrap you up in the clinch, going to go for a lot of her takedowns from that position and I do think Hardy's going to struggle with that. The weird part about it for Hardy, if you look at just the debut against Ashley Evans-Smith, it was on really short notice. It was at 135 and they say, okay, she's a black belt in Taekwondo. She's a brown belt at that time in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. She also is a brown belt in Karate and you see a lot of that in her style and from the outside, she's a long rangy southpaw striker, which is weird to say because she's going to be shorter than a lot of fighters both at Bantamweight, but as well at Flyweight, but she does do a good job of cutting angles, getting in and out, throwing a lot of really good volume, and I know her strike differential in the UFC is a poor number, but you go down through the level competition for Veronica Macedo, she makes the debut against Ashley Evans-Smith, she ends up losing, she takes on Andrea Lee, she ends up losing that fight as well, but if you go back and you watch that fight, and you even listen to Dan Hardy in the debut against Ashley Evans-Smith, because that's kind of the awkward bit of it, He's commentating that fight. The direct quote is, she possibly has the highest level Taekwondo that we have ever seen in the octagon. Dan Hardy never watched a single Man. Anthony Pettis fight. Uh, Dan Hardy was shooting that shot from day one. I think Dan Hardy knew someone was no, going to rewatch Veronica Macedo, they also talk about the fact that she had a husband at that point. So it's a little well, awkward maybe that he way. Didn't. But when you go back and you watch these fights, I mean, then you go into Macedo's next fight. She's taking on Andrea Lee. Is she still dating that bad guy at that point? Yes, yeah, she is. So that one was tricky. But 
Out of that one, they say, okay, well, right before Macedo's UFC debut against Ashley Evans-Smith, she broke her elbow before that fight, but she took the fight anyway. So, okay, it is what it is. She takes the fight against Andrea Lee. She has a really hard time with the grappling. She has a hard time with the striking. She takes on Jillian Robertson, struggles with the grappling. She takes on Pollyanna Viana. That was that crazy, like... It was. The, it was like a spinning top, and then all of a sudden there was a submission win. And then Macedo takes on BMLEC, who at the time had a record of, depending on how exhibition fights go and so on and so forth, it was either 2-0 and or 1-0 and in MMA. And she gets outstruck, and she struggles finding the distance in that. So I went through and I listened to a lot of Macedo interviews getting ready for this. I watched a lot of the tape, down to clown with the Veronica Macedo stuff. And she talked Hardy. to GHK of the All-Star MMA Macedo fights Hardy now. And in that interview, she said, listen, I really struggled with, you know, the, the concussions. I struggled with the injuries. The fight that I took against uh, Bia Malecki, it was really tough because I moved up to 135 to take the fight. And I, when I heard her say that, that just that one little bit, I thought, that's kind of weird because all the fights coming yeah, into like the UFC was at 135. Fought Ashley Evans-Smith at 135. Moved down to 125. And then fought Malecki at 135. And she kind of slowed down as the fight went on against Malecki. So maybe it was due to injuries. I don't know. It's just for Macedo. It's been about three years away. For Miller, she loves. And it was against uh, Neil. It was the fight that she had before that on uh, The Ultimate Fighter. She really likes the body lock to then get the trip takedown. And against Brogan Walker... Even when Walker was having success with her striking, Walker would initiate the clinch to then get herself taken down by Miller. You saw Miller go out there, land in top position. She was just grounding away with the elbows and the ground and pound. She picks up the win there for Miller. Body lock to trip takedowns. That is her specialty. She's not going to go in for single legs, high crotch. She doesn't go for double legs. The way Penne goes for takedowns is more throws, but I do think there is a fair comp between the two. But Juliana Miller, where she struggled, whether it's the Walker fight or otherwise, it's with her striking. And she does tend to look like a grappler who's then learned striking as like a second language. It's and slow too. In, in the fight against Walker, she still struggles with striking defense, getting her head off the center line, which is where this is kind of an oil meets water type of fight. Juliana Miller, very adept when it does touch the ground. Veronica Macedo is no, you know, fish out of water when it does come to the ground. Although the wins and the losses will tell you otherwise. The one trouble I have, though, is Veronica Macedo is a much better striker than Juliana Miller right. when it's on the outside. Regardless of the height and the reach... It's, it's how you use it, and Miller does tend to even struggle striking against small fights. I, I agree with everything you say, but I, I just think the way that Miller walks forward is going to negate a lot of the volume that Hardy's going to be able to do. Again, I agree with all the points you bring up. Again, Miller will struggle in that area, but just the way that she will kind of zombie herself forward, and that's the thing. If she was fighting, Andrade, I guess, fights at 125 sometimes, but you get the idea. A real devastating puncher who could make you pay for walking in for poor defense, then yes, I will worry about Miller. I guess Manon Ho would be a good example of that because she's really going to sit down on some of those straight shots and mix her kicks in. I, I just don't know if Hardy's that type of fighter. I think maybe early on, you're right. She can get good volume, maybe even win that first round. I just think at a certain point, Miller is going to be able to close the distance. And from that clinch, I think it's going to be difficult for Hardy to even A, escape the clinch, and B, if it gets down to the mat, we've seen Hardy struggle defensively in a lot of those positions before. And the one thing about Miller is we can talk about her weaknesses on the feet, but we got to give her flowers for how good she is she on the mat. She looked like Brock Lesnar with that ground and pound. Elbows, hammer <laughs> fist, she just kept going with it. So for Miller, in the stand-up, even in the Walker fight, she did struggle a little bit with that southpaw look, and every single Walker left hand landed. That's where Macedo... Hardy can come in at this point and really start to implement her game plan. But when you look at the odds, you factor in the layoff for Hardy at this point. Miller open to minus 200. She's a minus 450 favorite. 
I don't know who's laying that chalk because that sounds insane. And if you look at it for Hardy, open plus 170, plus 320. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us, they already you. I'm going to say over under 72.5% Miller. Just from where the odds are, because they're pretty ridiculous, I'm going to say that they're over. All right, let's have a look. And they're way over. 863 total votes, 89% going with Miller, 48% by decision, 36% by submission, 11% have uh, Hardy, 72% by decision. Matt, Juliana Miller, very good with the grappling. Macedo, well-rounded, good with the striking. She trained at one point with Ancos. Then she trained with MMA Factory for quite a while. Fernan Lopez, before it was cool, was coaching people in the USC. And then if you look at it right now, she's getting a little bit of work in in the UK, really trying to work some of that strength and conditioning. So really eager to see a member of Full Reptile competing this wow. weekend. I wonder if Dan Hardy's going to be in the corner. Who do you have here? I've got Juliana Miller. The, the problem is, again, I think we did break down an area where Hardy can have success, but the problem is I don't know how she's going to be able to sustain that success throughout 15 minutes. I think she will be able to volume strike on the outside. She has good inside leg kick. That might be able to disrupt some of the movement of Miller as she walks in, but the thing is, Miller is quite relentless with her game plan, and she will eat quite a few shots. Just get into the clinch, just get down to the mat, so for those reasons, I do have Miller. I mean, Veronica Macedo has one thing that Juliana Miller doesn't. I know Miller's an ultimate fighter winner, but like in 2001, that song by Vermont's own Stained, I know it's been a while, but that Andrea Lee fight was a fight of the night, and all three judges scored it, Matt. 30-27 Andrea Lee. So that's a tricky one to be a fight of the night. But I have Juliana Miller, even though I set it up this way, I have Juliana Miller ever so slightly. Darren Hardy's the only other person in the world who would talk about this fight for 12 minutes. We've I, done a great job breaking this down. I think the size of Miller is the difference here, but again, the striking defense worries me a little bit. She came on the channel after her fight against Walker, and she was kind of surprised that we weren't necessarily lovers of the nickname killer miller it's just too aggressive i don't mind killer i like it when it rhymes would you agree with me though miller's difficult because i think she has a very high ceiling but it is very difficult to judge where it is and that's the thing about this hardy fight even this hardy fight might not really prove exactly where she is it would just be nice to see a prospect be really active early in their career we'll see how it goes let us know down below in the comment section who you have i ever so slightly have juliana miller way too big of a favorite a lot of avenues for that striking to come in for veronica macedo some big time fights on this card 15 total lock it in keep it locked in and let's get into it matt coming up this weekend lightweight strikers clash we have the wolverhampton wolverine it's a black country banger it is jai herbert i mean he is the wanderer or they are known as wanderers in wolverhampton he's going to be taking on the nomadic wandering slovakian mr highlight Ludwig Klein in a big-time matchup that has big-time implications oh, yeah. as well. Because if you look at it for both these guys, I mean, Jai Herbert... It's just been like banger after banger after banger fights in the UFC. Both these guys' USC careers have been like the TV show Deadliest Catch. Like, at one point in the TV show, the seas, they're very angry with the ships. They're going up and down. Things are looking ugly. But all of a sudden, things have kind of calmed down a little bit. They're throwing their uh, hooks into the water. They're grabbing the buoys. They're fishing for crabs. Things have definitely calmed down for both these guys after a very difficult start to the I don't careers. think they rip darts like those men at sea. Probably not. When you do look at this matchup, Matt, and you consider it, I mean, you break down the fights and you say, okay, you have a look at it for Jai Herbert. He's definitely going to get the fan support. He's a guy that, when he has fought in London, he's gone 3-1 and one throughout his career, and he was able to get the belt over there and really get it going with Cage Warriors. He beat a couple of big-time names. He beat Jack Grant by finish, and then he defended his belt against Kane Carrizoza, former UFC vet, before he came into the UFC. Now, 
If you look at it, he dropped Francisco Trinaldo, and then he ends up getting finished. He fights Sonato Moicano. He gets finished again. Takes on Kama Worthy. Finishes him. Lose Delia Topuria, and then he ends up his last time out getting the win over Kyle Nelson, who was resurgent as that fight went along with his leg kicks. To be fair, Jai Herbert landed one of the cleanest non-knockout strikes in that fight against Ilya Topuria. That um, head kick. Oh, yeah, boy. I know he ended up losing, but that's on the short list of like Benil Daryush's overhand left against Matouche Gamrod of non-knockout shots that probably should have knocked their opponent out. But that's been the frustrating thing about Jai Herbert. You see this striking, you see how positive it can be, how he can flow with his boxing into his kickboxing too because I really only focused a lot on his boxing earlier on in his career but bringing up the Ilya Tapuria fight it does showcase a little bit of his kicks and how he's been able to implement those a lot more into his game and that's the thing about Jai Herbert when he is throwing the kick from the outside moving in with his boxing and really putting those two ranges together he can be a very difficult matchup for a lot of guys in this division but like we've mentioned like I said at the start of the episode these are two guys who on their best day can look really really good but on their worst day can kind of be caught in the mirror can struggle with their defensive strength and that's what I worry about with Jai Herbert in a matchup like this. I think he can have a lot of success from the outside. Again, he has devastating power when he is able to land. And like you mentioned, even in the losses, he will look well, good at a certain point. And against a guy like Ludwig Klein, that's been the most frustrating thing. I was really high on Ludwig Klein coming into the UFC. We saw the long distance head kicks, how great of a striker he was. He could threaten with submissions too if you're really going for a lot of takedowns. There was a lot of great skills to see, but the problem was... The aggressiveness didn't really seem to be there when he had initially come over to the UFC, and that's a difficult thing to explain, because the skills are still there, he can still throw a lot of the same things, but he's not necessarily moving forward as much in these fights as we had necessarily seen before. In the two losses, for sure, and that's the weirdest part uh, yeah. of it for Ludwig Klein. Coming into the UFC, he makes the debut, he's fighting out of Slovakia, and that's the important part. He's fighting out of Slovakia. So he takes his first fight against Shane Young. That one's at a catch weight of 150 pounds. Wins that one by knockout. Chef the head is. kick is what does it. Then his next two fights, he loses one to Mike Trezano. He loses one to Nate Landwehr. Both of those fights, he's not fighting out of Slovakia. He's fighting out of Kilcliff FC. He loses those two fights. Now he's on a two-fight win streak is Mr. Highlight Klein. He beats Devontae Smith by split decision. He beats Mason Jones, drops him in that fight. No one thought he was going to win that he one. He looked great in that fight and sent Mason Jones packing from the UFC. Those two wins training and fighting out of Slovakia again. So he's got that Spartacus gym back in full force. And if you go down and you look at it on the regional scene, Ludwig Klein was all that in a bag of chips. Oh, I yeah. mean, he was able to implement good takedown defense, good Brazilian jiu-jitsu, really good hands, setting up those crazy kicks and that great lead hook that he's able to throw. But when you look at everything, and I considered it like all of these fights that he's had, 18 fights at featherweight. He missed in that UFC debut. That was at 150 pounds. And then he had the two fights at 155 pounds. Those are both wins. So it seems like 155. Now he's kind of been able to acclimatize himself yeah. to the weight class. Things have been working out for him. And again, 3-0 in the UFC out of Spartacus. But when it comes to both of these guys, Ludwig Klein's not going to stand out there and play the long game, trying to draw out a lot of feints. And I know Jai Herbert's been in some barn burners. That common worthy first round, it was just all, all action. But his first round, against Francisco Trinaldo. We're pawing a little bit. The second round, he goes 
one, two, three, four jab, left hook, and then turns that right hand up and drops Francisco Trinaldo. Not only did he drop him, Trinaldo looked like he was surprised oh, to yeah. find himself on the mat. So if you go down through it, you watch these Shy Herbert fights, you touched on it. He goes out there. When he's throwing that kick, it really does set a lot it of does. things up, and it makes his opponents think. Because they know how dangerous he is at close range. When you're almost just giving out a bit of a threat at the long range, they're going to be more enticed to then put the fight where you can excel at. And that's what Jai Herbert does very well. Yeah, and I mean, you look at some of these fights, he's just able to go knockdown after knockdown after knockdown. He's training at a team renegade with the Edwards brothers is Jai Herbert. So big time opportunity for both of these guys. Herbert can struggle with some of the takedown defense, but he's one of the longest guys at six foot he one is, that you're yeah. going to find in this division. And his takedown defense, by and large, is pretty good. So you have a look at the odds in this one. Ludwig Klein is the slight favorite. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there, to you. I think they'll be close. I think they're going to be close to I'm going to say over under 62.5% for Mr. Highlight. I think they'll be over, but ever so slightly. All right, so we have a look at the topology votes. And yeah, so 870 total votes, 69% Klein, 60% by knockout. For the 31% that have Jai Herbert, 53% by decision, 39% by knockout. Not a lot of people predicting a submission win for either of these guys here. No, and here's the thing. You don't want to be like, oh, I only like it when people stay at a bang, bro. These guys are going to stand and bang, though, and it should be a great fight. I ever so slightly do have Ludwig Klein, and I know I said I thought the topology voters would be very close, and I said it'd be over 62%, but for Klein, I think the right hook is going to be a big key in this fight, and I think his feints are going to be important, too, because if he can draw down the hands of Jai Herbert to then expose the chin, it has been a weakness for Herbert in the past, and that's the thing. When you fight like Jai Herbert, if you have a chin like Justin Gaethje, it works, right? If you can eat nine power shots to give two or three of your own but your two or three are that devastating, then it does work. But for Herbert, you just wonder if he is going to be able to withstand some of the counter shots of Klein. So for that reason, I give Herbert a great chance, even a great chance to win this by finish, but I do have Ludwig Klein to win the matchup. It is a really tricky one because we've seen Klein underperform in those two for losses, sure. the one to Trezano, the one to Nate Landwehr as well. So again, you have to think another camp at Spartacus really will play out well for him. Two of his training partners that you got to go out and watch, Hafeni, Nafuka, and Salil Siraj, both of those guys are really doing the damn thing on the regional scene so some big guys on the come up i have mr highlight in this fight as well and i know i mentioned jai herbert's kicks is a little bit of a difference maker because we know how good his boxing combinations oh, yeah. are and he can pick his power shots but with klein if he's able to really add in the leg kick, that's been a bit of a detriment for Jai Herbert. We saw that in the last fight. Even though it was a win against Kyle Nelson, we're going to see how the southpaw look here plays out. But Matt, I think the winner gets Brad Riddell. Both of us going with Mr. Highlight, Ludwig Klein, to get the win. Some big-time fights on this card, including another man who has Highlight in the nickname, Justin Gaethje, who's taking on Rafael Faziv in the co-main event. Usman Edwards, the trilogy in the main event. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. Flyweights battle it out. Coming up this weekend, we have JoJo Joanne Wood, one of three fighters out of Scotland competing on this card. She's going to be taking on Dread, Luana Carolina, and both these women looking for an opportunity to shoot themselves into those top 15 rankings. And when you look at it for Wood, she's definitely on the toughest stretch of her oh, career. Yeah. And even going back to UFC 203 when she took on Jessica Andrade, you consider that fight and all the fights afterwards 
four and seven. She's dropped her last three. You consider the level of competition, though, and that's where it kind of creeps in. Loses split decision to Lauren Murphy. Loses to Tyler Santos by finish. Loses to Alexa Grasso by submission. Current champion, folks. And then you consider it from there. All three of those women in beating Joanne Wood earn title shots. So Wood's now getting the great reset. And I did exactly. a deep dive into what's gone wrong in some of these fights, but also... Kind of a, a a look through the looking glass, so to speak, for Wood. And I know when I reference interviews, I usually say James Lynch for XYZ publication or website or JHK. Exactly. But Joanne Wood was recently on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani. So I found the most interesting quote out of what she had to say was that A, she still has one fight left in her contract after this fight. But B, the last fight with Grasso, I tore my quad two weeks before that fight. Then before that, I injured my finger. So I was just like... I was wait or wanting to stay active because staying active is good when you're winning and you're feeling good. Another quote was, that "I probably career. I probably only got another year or two left in the sport." So she's got another year or two left in the sport. She's got one fight after Carolina. She had a lot of injuries going into the fight against Grasso, uh, which Grasso picked up her first submission win, but not her last submission. No, win, exactly. And when you look at it in this matchup for Joanne Wood, well, let's talk about the positives. Well. She was an ISKA, IKF, and WKL Muay Thai champ pre-MMA, and you know her as, you know, the former nickname Pow. that was Dr. Neville because the knees and the elbows from her clinch position Lethal. are her bread and butter. But for Joanne Wood, what makes it weird is Luana Carolina kind of tends to, you know, find her most it's success in flow state in the clinch similarly. I think we're seeing Joanne Wood become the grappler this weekend. That's just what I'm saying. Because here's the thing about Wood. I know when you talk about her career, when you talk about her shortcomings, because, again, you had mentioned it and I'm very happy you did. A lot of the times, we talk about fighters in every division like this. When you beat Derek Brunson, you know what happens? Great thing has happened to your career. When you beat Jim Miller, there's another example. When you beat Joanne Wood, normally something great happens in your career every single time. Because people do respect her foundational skills, how good she has Every been. single door when you walk into a store, they're open for you oh, money yeah. falls from trees like it's just the best thing if you beat jim miller your life changes completely in every single area but for joanne wood that has been the thing i i just think uh, defensively yes she does struggle in a lot of these areas but offensively she can shoot a double leg takedown and we have seen that in the past she will sit in full guard and it is a little bit mirko krokop-esque not a name i thought i would bring up when talking about joanne wood but it's someone who can go for the offensive takedown has good muay thai on the feet will go for a lot of elbows in that open guard position and those are things that joanne wood can do because like you bring up carolina does have a lot of the same skill set that someone like joanne wood ha has she's gonna be able to kick from the outside elbow on the inside especially from those clinch areas. So I really think this fight comes down to the volume of Wood and whether or not she can out-volume Carolina in those positions. And if Wood can take down Carolina, Carolina hasn't shown much off of her back in the UFC up until this point. And I just don't know if she's going to be able to really buck off Joanne Wood. Uh, for Luana Carolina, I don't know where aspirations were for her because she came in off Dana White's Contender Series Brazil in 2018. She picks up a win there and looked really good. But I mean, you consider it 3-2 and two so far. She beats Priscilla Catch. Uh, she loses to Ariane Lipsky in one of the most disgusting submissions you're ever going to see. And when Lipsky's on, as you saw last weekend, She's on. boy, is she on. Carolina beats Pollyanna Battaglio by split decision, beats Lupe Godinez, and loses to Molly McCann in a highlight real knockout oh. finish. So both of the losses for Carolina in the UFC, knockout and submission, their highlight reels, they're all over. But the wins are weird because when Carolina took on Lupe Godinez, Godinez comes up in weight on short notice, 
doesn't 10-8 Carolina in the first round, but beats her convincingly. She won the first round. First and then in round two and round three, Carolina rallies right back. The fight against Pauliana Battaglio, in terms of numbers, 36-2 to two are the total strikes for Battaglio. And she controls Carolina. It's not scored a 10-8 by all the judges. They give her 10-9s. And then Carolina rallies back. And looks really good. So for Carolina, it's a matter of flowing, not getting taken down exactly. and held down, and just succeeding in the striking. And I know that Joanne Wood is great with her Muay Thai, and Carolina likewise with her kickboxing. And you do consider it. I mean, even in the fight that Carolina had against Molly McCann her last time out, lost the first round, lost the second round. She's out grappled and she's out struck. And then in the third round, spinning back elbow. So it'll be interesting to see what we get out of Carolina if she's forced to rally back, which she has been so far in these wins, or if she's able to move things, because even though she's been outstruck, she's had to rally, still has a positive strike differential in her which UFC is career. Yeah. 4.64 strikes landed per minute to 3.55 received. And even in these UFC fights, she's 3-2. and two. She's been a dog in every single fight, except for when she was a favorite against Priscilla Cachueta, and she landed that crazy head kick knockdown in the second round of that fight. I think we're on the same wavelength right now. This is my big issue, and I think this is fair to bring up. Again, we talked about the level of competition that Joanne Wood has had throughout the UFC, and it is extremely high level. But she is 37 years old in the flyweight division. Like, we were talking about Valentina Shevchenko before her last fight, and yes, we both have Shevchenko to win. All credit to Alexa Grasso, but... We openly admit it that, yes, she might be experiencing a bit of a decline. Now, Shevchenko has a lot more high-level miles on the odometer. I think that's fair to say. Whereas Joanne Wood, a lot of these happen early finishes, and especially by submission. I just feel like you, Luana Carolina has a great chance to reset the ship. But it is weird because if she beats Joanne Wood, she's not going to be afforded the same opportunities that a lot of those other fighters have been able to. But it should still be a big name on her resume moving forward if she is able to. And it doesn't feel like when Trevin Jones fought Cody Garber not that long ago yeah. they were they were unranked bantamweights but one was a former champ for joanne wood her last three fights have been against then eventual title challengers off of That's those wins point. so you look at the odds in the matchup wood is favored to get the win carolina slight underdog we have a look at the topology votes matt surprise to us there to you i'm gonna say over under 77 percent joanne wood i think they'll be under i really do they're slightly under. 879 wow. total votes, 74% would, 90% by decision. For the 26% that have Carolina, 78% by decision. Do you see a decision in this fight? Who's the pick? I do see a decision, and that's why I have Carolina. In a lot of these fights, we have talked about her really struggling in early rounds because her opponents either have overwhelming grappling, which has been able to hold her down, or they have great striking, which can kind of stifle her own. But I don't think she's going to face that in this matchup. I, I know Wood is a very technical striker. She's a very talented striker. But it's been a while since we've seen that kind of Dr. Knievel, aggressive Joanne Wood. And that's what concerns me. I know she has lost to really good fighters, and I can openly admit this. I don't think Carolina... Carolina is on the level of her past few opponents. That's uh, not a hot take by any means. Her last few opponents are some of the best fighters in the division. But I do think Carolina is going to be able to excel in the same areas Wood can also excel at. And that's why I have Carolina in the matchup. But I brought up the takedown for Joanne Wood. I think that could be an avenue for her to have a lot of success. If she decides to put on the wrestling shoes, I think she could win this fight. But I do have Carolina in the matchup. First Scott on the card is Joanne Wood. I I have the underdog Luana Carolina to get the win, and I do think she's going to be afforded the opportunity to strike. I think she's going to have yeah. a little bit of success in the clinch, which might sound crazy. I think height-wise, reach-wise, both are very close. 
Carolina's a little tricky to get a hold of on the outside. Molly McCann was able to do it the last time out. But we'll this in the matchup going with the dread Luana Carolina, who seems to have grown her hair back. We'll see how the weight cut goes in this matchup because she has been forced to shave yeah. off some hair to make the weight. So maybe this is one that you check back in on question marks on Saturday, two hours before the prelims. It's a big time card. 15 total fights, title fight up the top. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight and Apex. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Flyweight finisher square off in London as we have Birmingham Zone, White Kong, Jake Hadley, the former Cage Warriors and EFC champ. And he's going to be taking on London Zone, London Ontario Zone, Malcolm Gordon. And I say flyweight finishers because... 11 wins for Malcolm Gordon are by finishing. He's able to get it done in all sorts of different ways. Five by knockout, six by submission. And I didn't mention it, but you consider the title lineage for both of these guys. Malcolm Gordon was a WXC champ in the States. He was a TKO champ in Quebec, Canada. And sure. Gordon fought a high-level competition outside of the UFC. And I know some of the wins. He fought uh, Michael Jordan. And I'll throw the picture up there now. Jumpman Tattoo... Looks like a skinny 125 Alexander Usyk. And in that fight, if you go back and watch it, I mean, round one, jab, long range straight. And then he goes out there and lands a couple of those on a right hook. And he springboards Michael Jordan into a knockout loss. WXC champ at that time was Malcolm Gordon. And I know for Gordon in the UFC, things haven't really gone his yeah. way. He's been billed as a good grappler. And I thought he was a really good grappler coming into the UFC now. You're going to struggle against Samir Al-Bazi. I mean, extreme tour zone. You're going to struggle against Muhammad Makayev in parts. There were also parts where Gordon almost submitted Muhammad Makayev, if you go back and watch that fight. But the two wins that Gordon has, one over Francisco Figueredo, where he closed the distance, takes him down, grinds him out, makes it a little boring. And then his win against Denis Bondar... Well, we don't see injuries like that very often. No, I mean, don't. he goes for the takedown. Uh, Bondar goes for a takedown at one point. And then as Bondar is posting up with his left arm, the body weight of Malcolm Gordon as he shifts snaps that right, or sorry, that left arm very, very badly. But Gordon in the UFC, he struggled a little bit because where he found success with the recklessness and the striking on the regional scene, it's gotten him caught in the UFC. And that's been kind of to his detriment. I mean, even in the third round against Muhammad Makayev, he kind of goes for some long-rangey stuff. Yeah. And then he kind of slips out of it, and he ends up getting taken down and ground out. But I will say, again... Gordon found success. One of the rounds in that fight against Makayev, he ends up, like, he has that rear naked choke in. And as the fight goes on, he also had it in at another point. He just wasn't able to scare these things. So I'm eager to see what we get out of Malcolm Gordon in this matchup because he goes from fighting one really hyped prospect to now one hyped prospect in uh, Jake Hadley, who I think some of the shine came off when he lost to Alain Nascimento in the right. debut. Hadley was a pretty big favorite in the fight He's against Nascimento. He's wear treatment, though. And he did struggle. So Hadley, his last time out, faces Carlos Candelario, a guy somewhat similar to Malcolm Gordon in the fact that Candelario likes to take you down, get on top, land the ground and pound. We haven't seen in the UFC yet, but that's what Candelario excels in. Jake Hadley almost made it look easy in he that He did. Fight. He looked so, really good. Really tough to tell. It's another kind of great reset for Jake Hadley in the matchup against Malcolm Gordon. For Gordon, just looking to right the ship, coming off a fight where you're not going to find a bigger underdog when Gordon took on Muhammad Makayev. And that's the problem for Malcolm Gordon. Like, this is a difficult matchup for him anyway, stylistically. And he's coming off of 
Well, like the most difficult stylistic matchup you could really face by any prospect in the division. For Makayev, he really is kind of a one-of-one one in the division. I know there's a lot of exciting prospects at 125 right now, but... I think Gordon's going to have to use his striking a lot in this matchup, which is a weird thing to say because... I, I think he's got better boxing than Jake Hadley. I fight. definitely do, but you wouldn't think that watching a lot of his fights. You wouldn't think, wow, Gordon's the guy who should work behind the jab and try to work in his combinations. But I do think he does have the heavier hands out of these two, and I think he's the more sound fighter defensively. Now, not by an extreme shot. I don't think Malcolm Gordon's one of the great boxers of all time, but I do think he is going to be the more effective fighter in the stand-up throughout this matchup. The problem for me is I've never really seen Malcolm Gordon go out there and just box for 50 minutes like at a certain point he is going to implement the takedown and the grappling and I do think he's going to have to defend against that quite a bit in this matchup so for me I just question how much damage Malcolm Gordon's going to be able to do on the feet because if he is able to make use of some of that distance I think he could be able to win this fight but the problem is he's going to have to really make sure those are damaging shots and he's really going to have to be able to threaten with some of those submissions I'm glad you brought it up I just don't know if he's going to be able to get that back control type of a position on a guy like Hadley now could he get maybe a guillotine threaten with some of those spots yes he could but if you're threatening with guillotines, that means your opponent is normally pretty deep in on a takedown. And if Jake Hadley is a guy who's going for kind of those 11 of 13 type of a game plan, like we saw, well, Marab went, what, 11 for 49. So not necessarily the same percentages, but you get the idea. I just think Hadley is really going to do a great job of closing that distance. And for Gordon, it's going to come down to how much damage he can do on the feet. For me, I don't know how much confidence I have in that game plan for him. You go back through and you watch some of the Malcolm Gordon fights. I mean, he beats Chris Calaitis on the Bellator scene. So both guys with some Bellator experience or at least uh sorry gordon has it that's a really big name i mean chris had you know good success over in europe or overseas and he's a guy from eastern canada just like we are so a giant sure. win for malcolm gordon and you do consider it, he beat yoni sherbatov for that tko belt and yoni i mean he owns his own gym in laval he was also on the ultimate fighter and in that fight yoni sherbatov a is like five foot two and i don't mean that as a joke but he's a he's smaller a guy yeah. so how does he win fights he rushes guys and he goes in and blitzes gordon and he wobbles him, and then he blitzes him again, and he wobbles him again. And somehow, out of all of it, Malcolm Gordon's able to get it down, get the back. Sherbatov stands up. He already looked like he was hurt out of one of the exchanges. Stands up. Gordon's got the rear naked choke in. They slam down, and Gordon ends up winning by finish. And even in the fight that Gordon won against Francisco Figueredo, 2 of 11 in the takedowns, he... Was able to get some of his boxing going. Gordon's one of those guys. Trains out of Adrenaline MMA in London, Ontario. With Bazooka Joe Valtellini... He's going to have Mark Hominick in his corner for this fight. I listened to an interview that Gordon did with James Lynch with Bodog, which is a strange interview site to do things with, but they don't both do business with him, so it is what it is. And Chris Hordesky is also out of that gym, a guy who had a lot of success over with WEC, just not against Donald Cerrone. So when you look at the matchup, Jake Hadley, a guy that's training close to home, again, a guy that is out of Birmingham. So you look at the fights, Matt, you look at the success that these guys have had, and even Jake Hadley, Fearless MMA, you're going to see that come up in some of these videos, as well as Team Renegade BJJ. You've got Leon Edwards out of that gym. Uh, you also have Jai Herbert training out of that gym as exactly, well. Yeah. Jake Hadley's record is not the same as Malcolm Gordon's. For a younger guy, it's nice to see 9-1, but Hadley is a win over a guy who right now, Reese Street, he was 0-24 then, he's 0-40 now, he was 5-44 as an amateur, and his record's flagged by topology as being one of those guys that probably isn't going to win the fights that people match him in. So Reese Street, got to look out, but good wrestling, good jiu-jitsu out of Jake Hadley, and he has the ability to utilize some really good fight IQ 
in the wins that we've seen exactly. to change things up between his boxing and his striking. I mean, I go back to the fight that Jake Hadley had on the regional scene against Luke Shanks where he gets hit really hard, really quick at the start, and then he goes out and just out-wrestles him for the entire fight and ends up kind of grinding in a decision win. I think there will be matchups out there where Hadley will struggle with. I just think this fight against Gordon, it is stylistically quite favorable towards a guy like Hadley just because Gordon, I think, does have the advantage on the feet. Don't get me wrong. But how does Gordon win a lot of his fights? He does enjoy a lot of the grappling. And I do think it'll be difficult for him to outgrapple a guy like Jake Hadley. We'll see. Not to give away my pick too early. We'll see how it goes. I mean, Hadley's a juiced up favorite. Malcolm Gordon, yeah. pretty big underdog. I don't agree with it to the to the to the extent that it's at right now. I understand why Muhammad Makayev was a big favorite. Malcolm Gordon, I know he got finished in that one, but he did enjoy a few successes there. And if you watched it, Makayev fought with his hands down. He got hit by a lot of those long range. Can I throw a question at you quick? Yeah. If Taira fights Hadley, what do you think the odds would be? Taira's favored to win that one. He's probably minus one seventy five. I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I just think it'll be interesting because there are a lot of these prospects who are kind of rising at similar times. So I think at a certain point, they are going to start to have to fight each other before they get into the top 15. So I'll be interested to see who some of these guys get matched up with moving forward. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us there. Do you, I'm going to say over under 70% Jake Hadley. I think they'll be over. I think they're going to be over. They're over 886 total votes. 86% with Jake Hadley. 33% by decision. 52% by submission. For the 14% that are Malcolm Gordon, 65% have Gordon to win by decision. And when you consider for Malcolm Gordon, he has been submitted in the past once by Makaya, by Armbar, once by Amir Albazi. So those two submission losses in the UFC. Matt, I do have Jake Hadley to get the win. I think he can impose physically, but I think like we saw a little bit in the, the early part of the Shanks fight, like we saw against Alana Cementu, who's much bigger. Yeah. We saw those guys enjoy some successes briefly in the striking. Malcolm Gordon can have that success all the way out, but Malcolm Gordon seems to be one of those guys that I know he can't take caffeine before you fight, but does he eat like five bags of Sour Patch Kids and he just goes out and fights like sicko mode? He's just out there doing so much stuff. I think Jake Hadley can dial it down and just fight at his own pace, but Gordon is a pretty big underdog. I think he has a decent shot. Do you think Sour Patch Kids are his snack of choice? My favorite snacks are peanut M&M's. Okay. I'll argue with anybody about that. I think peanut M&M's the goat snack. I have Jake Hadley in the match, though. I kind of gave it away a little bit earlier, but even when Malcolm Gordon does have success on the feet, he will tend to grapple at a certain point in the fight, and I just think Hadley's going to be the more effective grappler in the matchup. I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again, but I do like Jake Hadley in this fight. Both of us going with Jake Hadley to get the win in the matchup. Do you have Canada's own Malcolm Gordon or the man out of Birmingham? You let us know down below in the comments section. Some big-time fights, 15 of them. The video's going to be long. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's Let's get into it. Big time middleweight scrap and a possible fight of the night. We have Cage Warriors main man of middleweight. It's Christian Duncan taking on the Serbian thunder that is Dusko Todorovic. Matt, this is a big time fight oh, because yeah. for Christian Leroy Duncan, if you consider it, he had kind of a pro boxing upbringing in MMA. We saw him fight with IMMAF. He's no Diamond Dame Anderson from Creed 3. He didn't just have no pro fights and then fights for a title. Duncan was able to go out there, compete with some really big names over with the IMMAF, and then all of a sudden that translated so well as a pro because he was so well seasoned, almost like a Muhammad Makaya, but Leroy Duncan is definitely tasted some defeat yeah. he's been able to go out there as a pro and 
Dust Everyone. Dusto. He's looked pretty good. Has been Christian Leroy Duncan. So if you consider it, he's been able to do all of this great work over with Cage Warriors. All of the pro fights are there. He has the one decision in the rematch to Will Curry. But I mean, apart from that, some giant wins. He fights Justin Moore. And I've never seen a bigger favorite with Cage Warriors than uh, Mr. Duncan. When he fought Justin Moore, because Moore's record was a little bit salty, goes out there and submits him and made it look really easy. But there's a reason why I'm so excited about these fights, Matt. It's because for Duncan, he's got a flying knee knockout over uh, Milan when he's fighting for the title, challenging for it. He's got a spinning elbow knockout over Dimitrov, or sorry, Dimitrov when he's trying to defend that belt. That's not even the craziest part about that. He throws a Raymond Daniels like 720 start head kick that really knocks things off as the fight starts. He also has a spinning back kick knockout over Lukas Marchinkowski. So... If you watch these fights for Christian Leroy Duncan, who for this fight isn't training at home, and you might go, well, where's home, Craig? Where does he train out of? Well, he trains close to home in England. But his coach is Mark Weir, and you might go, well, Mark Weir, didn't he knock out Eugene Jackson back at UFC 38 in 10 friggin' seconds? Yeah, history lesson. He friggin' did. So for Christian Leroy Duncan, some crazy lineage there. Training at Tiger Muay Thai for this fight. Phil Hawes on his Instagram, but there's a lot of fighters on this card out of Tiger Muay Thai. He's got his hands full, this Duncan, though, in Todorovic. And Todorovic knows bonuses and knows wild oh, fights. Certainly. Former Serbian Battle Challenge champ. He beat Michelle Pereira. And he's got a way in his back pocket. Because I've talked about the wildness of Duncan. But for Todorovic, when he's able to win some of these fights, pressing forward, marching forward, holding guys down. And when he wins, apart from the Jordan Wright fight... He's just kind of holding guys down, and he kind of slows the fight down to where he's able to find success with his own wrestling. Is he the striking version of Sarah McMahon? Because here's the thing. When Dusko's the guy moving forward with his own power shots, but he's able to threaten with the wrestling, he's a really effective fighter. But when he's the guy being pushed backwards, he does seem a little bit uncomfortable. And that's been the problem with Dusko Todorovic. Throughout his UFC tenure, the highs are very high. And even throughout certain fights, even when he loses, he will look good throwing in combination. Because at middleweight, middleweight's a weird division, right? It's kind of the in-between between the smaller divisions and the big old, bigger divisions. Quite literally called middleweight. But some guys have great kind of one-punch knockout power. And some guys do rely a little bit more on volume. Dusko is much more of the one-punch knockout guy, I would say, than he is more reliant on volume. Can he throw in combination? Yes, he can, but his combinations come a lot more when he has guys up against the cage after he has pressured them. The Michelle Pereira fight is one of the great ones of all time. He has them hurt, throws a beautiful combination up against the cage after he had pressured them. And that's the thing about Disco. When he's fighting under the terms that he likes to fight under, he is a great like, fighter. His his fight after that on Dana White's Contender Series a few years exactly ago, he takes on Teddy Ash, former unified champ up here in Canada, but on the West Coast in Alberta. And if you watch that fight, Disco goes out there, pushes a page, they're chest to chest and then he brutalizes them up against the cage and he, it's he doesn't knock them out but it's kind of a death by a thousand cuts type win but so far in the UFC if you look at it for Disco and you consider some of the bonuses and the guys that he's fought he goes out there and fights Taquan Townsend first fight in the UFC takes him down and then from Mount just reigns away picks up a bonus for that ball. fight he gets dropped multiple times by Puna Soriano in the first round takes on Gregory Rodriguez gets out muscled out wrestled out struck then he takes on Maki Patola beats Maki in the first round. Chidi and Joe Kawani knocks him out in the first round. So a, a tough one there for Old Disco. But the one fight that doesn't match the mold for Tarorovic, he gets completely out-wrestled by Jordan Wright in the first round, which I would have thought, 
Wright trains with Vladimir Matyshenko, but he's not really a grappler. A and he went out there and had a great time with the takedowns against Dusko. Second round comes out. Jordan Wright's huffing and puffing. And then all of a sudden, Dusko is able to kind of pull out a big-time win. And if you look at it for the play for Dusko, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's a Taekwondo black belt. He has everything to beat somebody in middleweight and a guy like uh christian leroy duncan to boot because if you look at it for duncan i go back to that first uh you know title fight that he has against milan and jody milan's going out there goes for the takedown at the start of the first round gets it and then for four and a half minutes he holds down duncan now duncan's got a great first move off that backs his way right up to the cage we got to get right back up to our feet duncan would do great like an nfl combine you know like his numbers would be insane because he does have that athleticism x factor that we don't often see in mma well and you, both of these guys definitely have it to an extent but when you look at it overall i mean a combined opponent record for a guy like duncan seven wins 45 and 11 that's pretty darn good and he good. was supposed to defend against a big name in jesse taylor back on new year's eve in 2022 taylor was on his way to the fight and then somebody hit that car over in england so it was a hit and run taylor wasn't able to fight so i'm watching the cage warriors card i'm, I'm all excited and then they're like no the fight's not gonna happen but graham boylan who manages a lot of the cage warriors alum goes well now he's in the UFC. He's going to fight in the UFC, getting ready. He's going to be on a London card. So we get Duncan in this matchup against Todorovic. You have a look at the odds. Duncan's favored in his UFC debut against a guy who has a fair bit of experience in Todorovic. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over-under. I think it's going to be slight to fairly slight. So I'm going to say over-under 67.5% Duncan here. I think it'll be under. I think it's going to be under. It's over. 848 total votes, 86% Duncan, 86% by knockout. For the 14% that have Todorovic, 55% by knockout. The fans want blood. They think there's going to be a knockout. Teddy Gallus has a great saying where it's, hey, don't stick around for the receipt after you pay. Like, after you do what you want to do, leave. Disco doesn't do that at all. Disco does. does. Disco doesn't stay for a receipt. He stays for a conversation with the cashier. Kid he'll gets coffee the and dessert. Yeah, like he'll talk to the people behind him in line as they're at the checkout. And that's the big problem with Disco throughout his UFC tenure. And really throughout his whole career. The highs are high. The aggression is great. But the problem is, after he tees off on his opponent, the hands go from here to down by his waist. And I do think Duncan's the type of striker who can take advantage of some of those defensive lapses in Dusko Tudorovic. But I think we both agree on this. Dusko's a pretty good guy to face in her UFC tenure. So for Duncan to get the respect from not only the odds makers, but just from the UFC matchmakers to give him a fight like this, I think it shows what his overall ceiling could be. And I wouldn't say that it's a possible fight of the night because I see it one-sided for either fighter. I think yeah. Duncan's going to face the most attrition he has so far in his pro career. And again, his fight against Milan, he gets taken down. And then in the the third round he throws an axe kick they say crescent kick that doesn't land and then that sets up the flying knee and his opponent was really tired at that point but the spinning attacks the ability to switch stances very quickly changes levels offer different looks he has good takedowns in his own right but i think duncan taking down tarotovich could end up being a mistake so i love the fight i ever so slightly have christian leroy duncan but this should be an amazing matchup matt a lot of fighters okay. out of the uk uh getting ready for this card 15 total fights on it you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fight night picks we always say let's get, get into, into it, it. 
The return of the British star. It's the man known as the Miracle, Lerone Murphy, looking for his first action since UFC 267 when he beat Maquan Amir Khani. And Lerone Murphy, on eight days' notice, is going to look to welcome the LFA featherweight champ. It's Gabriel Santos. Matt, I absolutely love this fight because there's probably a ton of respect, and deservedly so, for the man who's undefeated in Lerone Murphy. You look at it, he takes on Zubair Takigov in his UFC debut. He he has a split draw on that one because he gets mopped in the first round with the wrestling. He ever. And then he rallies as the fight goes along. But if you look at it in the wins, he beats Ricardo Hamish by knockout. He beats my guy, Douglas Silva, DeAndraj. People might go, Craig, why do you say that every time? Because I love that little pocket rocket. He can just do everything. And then his last time out, the knee knockout of Maquan Mirkani. Laurel Murphy shown in the UFC. A susceptibility to getting taken down. But like Chumbawamba, the round ends. He gets back up exactly. and he just starts striking once more. And I'm really eager to see him back out there. And I listened to a couple of different interviews that Lerone Murphy did in getting ready for this fight. One with low kick MMA and Tim Wheaton. He's not a fan of the questions about... The life story. You know, he, he got shot in the head a few different times or Which shot in the head once incredible. and in the neck. He's got prosthetic teeth. But he did a really interesting interview with Severe MMA's own Harry Powell. So credit where credit's due. I know Sean Sheehan gets all the credit with Severe MMA. But Harry did a good job. He talked a lot, but he did a really good job with the interview. And Lerone's been away for a really long time. And he said something that I was really surprised by. Because he's a Manchester top team guy. And Manchester's got a couple of different fighters on the card. I know by extension, you have Muhammad Makayev because he's out of Wigan, which is in the greater Manchester area. But for Murphy, Harry asked him, what do you make of cross training? What do you think of training in Thailand? And Lerone said, I think it's great. I love it as a kind of a mental reset. You get to finish training. You're on the beach. You get to wake up and you hear the beach. Like, well, I guess you hear the ocean. The I'm terrified of the ocean. So that would not appeal to the, me at all. The sand doesn't make a lot of noise. But for Lerone Murphy, he likes that reset. He likes to train over there. He just doesn't necessarily like the fact that if you do your whole camp over there, maybe it takes away a little bit. He did like it, though, that you're not waking up in the cold and the rain and just the UK weather. So I, I found that really interesting that he thought maybe if you do half your camp to start over there and then the rest at home, it's an interesting way to get into it. But for Murphy, he was originally supposed to be taking on Nathaniel Wood in this fight. I was so Wood's excited. out due to injury. Now we get Gabriel Santos, and Santos falls into the category of I'm incredibly lucky and opportunistic in the fact that the LFA went down to Brazil with a lot of these cards because you got to see the Bonfim brothers. Gabriel Bonfim was able to win a contest to win the welterweight title. Then he fights I'm on awesome. Contender Series. Now he's everything as we've seen in the UFC. We also saw Gabriela Fernandez win a title with the LFA. They went down to Brazil and then she came into the UFC and didn't look great against Jasmine Jazavizius. Well... Gabriel Santos is one of those prospects that got that shot. He took on Marcio Barboza. He won that fight by knockout in the second round. Not without withstanding a ton of adversity in that one. And his last time out as a big underdog in the tournament finale. Beats Jose Delano and finishes him. And boy, did he look amazing for all of that fight. He looked really, really good in that one. I love the offense of Santos. Like, it really is some high IQ striking. It's not a guy who's just going out there throwing bombs. But does he switch stances? 
Oh, he switches stances. Does he? Can Mookie Betts hit? You tell me. And that's the fun thing about Santos. Again, he's not just a guy like, uh, again, we all appreciate a guy like Vanderlei Silva who goes out there, eats some bombs, and throws a lot of hooks and knocks guys out. But Santos does have a lot of speed behind his technique. And it is fun to watch because he does fight very similar from his orthodox and southpaw positions. Although a few more kicks from that orthodox position, he's a little bit more uh, right leg dominant, I guess, with his power kicks. But I really do enjoy his boxing combinations. I like that he can throw out some feelers shots. We talk about uh, uh, Veronica Hardy earlier on the card. Shout out to her current husband, Dan Hardy, because he's the one who broke this down, and it just made sense to me. He's like, hey, I am a guy who, like, he has his black belt in jiu-jitsu. He is a good grappler, don't get me wrong, but he can admit that, hey, grappling's like a secondary art form to me, you know? I have to think about it, and then I can do the action. Whereas, with striking, I can just kind of flow with my striking. It comes natural to me. And for Gabriel Santos, when he can flow with his striking, he's a very dominant fighter, and I'll be curious to see how aggressive a guy like Lerone Murphy is, because Murphy definitely has... I don't know if I'll say definitely... Murphy makes his power shots count more, I would say. I don't know if he's the more heavy-handed out of the two, but when he does let his hands go, when he does include the knee and the kicks into his offense, he can have a lot of success, but we talked a little bit before we started filming, it is a little bit frustrating. A, Lerone Murphy, not as active as you'd like a guy who is as talented as he now, is. Now, in, in the interview that he did with Harry Powell, he touched on it. There was one fight that he was supposed to have in the States that fell out because of visa no, no, issues. I just mean, just in general, for a guy yeah. as talented as he is, it would be nice to see him in the octagon more often. Once every five months, once every six months. But this is a great fight to bring him back on. The weird thing is, though, I feel like Lerone Murphy was gaining a lot of momentum just in the general fan appeal. They're bringing him back to a pretty difficult matchup on short notice. You bring it up only eight days notice to fight Gabriel Santos who is a Santos is in on the short sorry notice, Santos sorry Santos the one in short notice but he's a dangerous fighter nonetheless again he's got the hand speed he's got the power he can get on the inside and the outside I just think it'll be a really curious fight because I think this is a fight where Murphy might burn the first round, kind of lose the battle to win the war because Murphy's not a guy who's really going to wow you with his output, but I think that might actually come back to benefit him in this matchup. So you can play MMA math with this one in a circle and it gets really weird. So Seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Elvis Brenner fought Zubair Takigov in the undercard of the pay-per-view in Perth. And it was really weird because everyone and their dog and maybe even Cat that watched that fight thought that Zubair Takigov won. The judges gave it to Elvis Brenner, and all of us were shocked. But yeah. Brenner beats Takugov. Lauren Murphy drew with Takugov. Gabriel Santos beat Elvis Brenner. Judges scorecards 28-27, 28-27, 29-28. I watched the fight again today. I don't know how they ended up with 28-27s, but he says, what, Venche Oit? Which is 28 and then 27. So it weirded me out. And I even Google translated it to make sure there I heard it go. correctly. But when I watch those fights, Gabriel Santos, Elvis Brenner. Santos fights a lot more out of orthodox. Santos is able to win the first round, in my opinion. He loses the second round. He gets taken down and held down a little bit. I thought he won the third round. But his cardio wasn't really on the level. His output was kind of all over the place. Yeah, the output's the thing he struggles with. Gabriel is next time out beats Elvis Silva. And Gabriel at these times, he's a future FC featherweight champ then he goes out there and fights uh marcio barboza over with the lfa and in that fight it was really weird because in the first round quick takedown entry he throws a spinning back kick and he whiffs and then when he whiffs on it it's weird because sorry it was spinning back fist he eats a left hook and he gets dropped and barboza drops santos and then santos is trying to kind of clear the cobwebs and get back up he gets a legal need he does. But the referee, Osiris Maya, doesn't really see it. So out of that first round, Santos, if you called it a 10-8 for Barboza, I wouldn't be mad at all. Santos is up. He's down. Throughout the round, he's completely rocked. 
And then he comes back in the next one. He's so wobbly in a striking. He lands a spinning kick. He lands a head kick. He gets the ground and pound done. Santos looks really good. But his coming out performance was his last fight. Against Delano, Santos a big underdog. He comes out of that fight switching his stances a lot. But mainly from southpaw. Mixing his boxing combinations. Going to the head when Delano's up. And then really hitting Did that him. last fight make you change your opinion of him and what his overall ceiling could be? Because it did for me. Because again, I had done the tape study. I looked through a lot of his fights. The positives were there, but the negatives were also there. But watching his last fight, not that it erases a, a lot of the difficulties we had seen throughout him, but it did make me have a lot more confidence in him making his debut. And the trouble for Murphy in some of these fights, and both these guys are undefeated, so you're really nitpicking, but for Murphy in his fight against Takugov, he struggled to take down defense. Uh, Takugov was able to go 6 of 8. And then his last time out when he's taking on Amir Khani. Amir Khani went 5 of 7. But he kind of tuckered out. And Murphy was able to land that great yeah. knee in the second round. Murphy's been kind of liable to wait, 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 and bait. And then land some of those power shots. So his output numbers aren't the highest. But if you consider it for him, I mean, seven big-time wins by finish. And seven of the 11 wins are by knockout. Performance bonus over Hamosh, who was supposed to fight last week in a featherweight, but kind of kicked in around a lightweight, and the fight was canceled. So I just can't get over the man fought at Bantamweight, and now he weighs in at almost lightweight when he's not supposed to. Come on. Ricardo Hamosh is a big man. Matt, when it does come down to this one, short notice for Santos again on 8Ds. Notice, you have a look at the odds for the fight. And Lerone Murphy, I know the fans tend to know him. They tend to love him. He is only a slight favorite in the fight. About a minus 155. Santos at a plus 135. We have a look at the topology votes. Surprise to us there, to you. One guy's coming back after fighting in 2021. was last time we saw him. Gabriel Santos uh, was able to pick up that belt back in January. I'm going to say over under topology voters, 70% Lerone Murphy. I think they'll be over. I think they're going to be over. They're over. 559 total votes, Murphy. Uh, or sorry, Murphy has 88% of them, 12% of Gabriel Santos. So Matt, the fans overwhelmingly have Lerone Murphy. He's looked like a buzzsaw in the OC with some little exceptions. Yeah. Who do you have in the pick here? I'd say I'm like 70-30 Lerone Murphy. You All know, right. I think the topology votes are a little out of hand, if I'm being honest, because Santos, for as good of a striker as he is, that's going to leave the or the window open for him to win the fight. Again, people talk about how MMA, they have 4-ounce gloves, not 12-ounce gloves or 8-ounce gloves like there are in boxing. So anyone who has the striking acumen of a guy like Gabriel Santos is going to have a great chance to win a fight. But I have really enjoyed what I've seen out of Murphy throughout his run up until this point. But again, I say this every single time this man fights, it would just be nice to see him be a little bit more active because the skill set is definitely there. It would just be nice to see him go up against a high level of competition because I do think he is a very skilled fighter. It's just really difficult to say, oh, he could be a future top 15 fighter when we've never really seen him go in against guys like, you know, Alex Caceres, I think is a good name for or him. Or Nathaniel Wood, who he's do this. Weekend. Exactly. That would have been a phenomenal matchup, but I do have Leroy Murphy in this fight. I'm going Gabriel Santos. I like and it. The reason is because those boxing combinations, the volume numbers, and his cardio looks like it's improved quite a bit from 2021 when he was fighting the Elvis Brenners and he fought back-to-back -back Elvises so that's really weird but he fought Elvis Silva after that one to what we saw over with the LFA I think there's been a definite improvement now you fought about a month and a half ago how's he gonna look I mean it is on short notice you have to cut the weight you have to travel all the way across the world where Murphy's been getting ready out of Manchester top team so you just have to go down the way a little bit to get to London so 
I do like that well-roundedness out of Gabriel Santos, but hey, this is a tricky fight it's to try and one. offer up a pick and prediction. And Lerone Murphy is thought of in the minds of many to be that next great guy. He just needs to get that activity up. So we're split on the pick. I'm going with Santos, not going with Lerone Murphy. Please let us know what you have down below in the comment section for the fight. Keep it locked in with Fight and Apex. We always say, let's get into it. Flyweight Prospect Square Off coming up this weekend. We have Greater Manchester Zone. It's the Wigan Man, the Punisher, Mohamed Makayev. He's undefeated as a pro, undefeated as an amateur, multiple-time IMMAF champ. Will the IMMAF, will they cease to exist coming up soon? We don't know, but Mohamed Makayev is on a roll. He's like Hansel. Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel. Mohamed Makayev coming up this weekend. He's taking on a legitimate pastor in Jafel Filio, Nova Unyao's own. And Matt, how f does it have to be when you go to church and your pastor's finished 13 of 14 wins? I'm glad you said wins, but uh, he is a good fighter. That's the name of Philo. Like, you do look at his background and that kind of overshadows or overshines what he does. Good at, but like, Philo's a really talented young prospect. And you bring it up, I feel like a lot of shine is going to go to Makayev this weekend, rightfully so. He has had so much hype coming into the UFC, and he has delivered on a lot of it up until this point. But I don't want that to overshadow the fact that Philo is a very promising well, young prospect. And we were really excited about Philo's fight on Dana White's Contender Series this past summer. On week nine, he fought Roybert Echevarria. So we're on over to a clip from that show. I know Philo comes out of Nova Unyao. But he's very much a, my hands are low. I'm going to strike. I'm going to try and take the fight down to the mat. His jiu-jitsu is electric. 12 of his 13 wins, Filios, are by finish. Nine of them by submission. I have good grappling as kind of his big basis. His takedowns are really weird. Like, he he likes the body lock, the trip takedown, like trying to push guys down. And for Filio, both of these fighters, Echevria and Filio, have experience at Bantamweight. Filio is definitely the bigger fighter. When you look at them at weigh-ins, Filio's taller. He looked completely drawn out, which I didn't love. And the other thing, when I look at Filio, made his pro debut in 2012. Fights, one fight in 2017, two in 2018, one in 2019, one in 2021. And the last fight that he had at Flyweight was back in 2017, where he lost the, uh, what was it? His, his belt by submission down in Brazil. So... I look at this as, yeah, Shuto, former Shuto flyweight champ is Filio, but I haven't seen it all that recently. And Echeverria, man, I have so many different things to say about him, but both of these guys are electric. Filio does have great uh, takedowns and jiu-jitsu, and his grappling is phenomenal. His striking just reminds me of like an early career Damian Maya, though. And remember what happened to Damian Maya yeah. when he fought Nate Marquardt? He rushed in, he got hit by one shot, got flatlined. Like, I think Philo does have those types of skills, but the problem is I do think he has the type of striking that can get him caught on the feet too. If he does end up fighting one of those top tier strikers, I think Philo has a really interesting game that I'm curious to see how it develops as he moves forward. So on week nine, Nurulo Aliv was able to get a contract. Austin Lane was able to get a contract. Raul Rosas Jr. And of course, in the main event, Bruno Ferreira was able to knock out Gregory Rodriguez in the UFC. Jafel Filio looking to kind of step in and make an impact like that. And who's to say he can't? I mean, on the regional scene, he was a Jungle Fights champ. He took a long time off. And then he ended up on Dana White's Contender Series. So some of the layoffs in Filio's career have been a little weird. But you know him as a guy out of a big-time gym in Novo Nyao. Sure. But he's not necessarily married to the striking or married to the grappling. It's just a fight like this is really tricky because for Mikhaev... 
He could struggle in bits. I mean, we saw him his last time out against Malcolm Gordon sink in a submission win, but the lasting image at the end of round two, he's stuck in a rear naked choke. Round three, he gets caught in a really tricky situation, but then he ends up getting himself good. If you look at it for Makayev, I pointed to certain fights that he's had, whether they were IMMA fights, the, 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 I guess he's had a couple of different ones where they kind of went a little sideways and then he was able to reel it back in, or the fight that he had against Abdel Hussein as a pro. But for Makayev, some fights, like the Charles Johnson fight, he's struggling to get the finish, but the pieces are there. Is it fair to say, though, at 22 years of age, I'd rather you just have difficult moments in some of your fights than you'd be losing the, a lot of fights. The biggest thing that concerns me, it has nothing to do with the grappling of the takedowns. Even though Filio is a black belt and he's a very adept grappler, you can see that from just the picture where he's giving out the hang loose. Has he spent time with BJ Penn at Novignao? I'd say. Maybe. But when you look at it for Filio, heavy-handed... He can be reserved, but the power is there. And you saw that his last time out against Roybert Echeverria. He was able to go out there in the last round. He uh, lands the counter left hook as he's kind of moving forward, drops him. And then I thought it was a little bit of an early stoppage, but he goes out there and gets the finish. Dana White said, slow start to that fight. Love the way his opponent fought, which is always weird when you're kind of up playing Roybert Echeverria. But Filio's got heavy hands, and sometimes Makayev doesn't necessarily respect the punching power of his opponents, though... For Makayev getting ready for this one, he is, like many other fighters, training out of Tiger Muay Thai. I also had a lot of criticisms coming out of a lot of Makayev fights. There's just little moments that you can nitpick, but again, I kind of let my hand go by interrupting you. It is the truth. I'd rather you just have difficult, like, minute moments in your fights when you're 22 years old than you'd be losing a bunch of fights on the regional scene before you come into the UFC. And that's the thing about Makayev. He's fighting guys who have a ton of experience when he doesn't really have a lot of it himself. And that'll be the interesting thing in this matchup, too, because Filio has fought a high-level competition, I would say, on the regional scene, has a lot of fights before coming into the UFC. Not that 16's an incredible amount, but again, it's not like he's an 8-0, 8-1 type of fighter. I just think for Makayev, Kayev, and you would say this, Filio is very well-rounded, but he does have heavy hands, and I think the heavy hand factor will give him the puncher's chance, but I've said this many times before, and I'm going to say it many times again. When we start doing these predictions, and I keep on falling back to, well, he has a puncher's chance to win this fight, I just don't think he has a great matchup. Now, hopefully he can threaten with some of the jujitsu off of his back. Hopefully he can make it difficult for Makayev to complete a lot of those takedowns, but from what I've seen out of Makayev, not only does he have the takedown ability, he has pretty good 15-minute cardio to go along with it, too. I don't think if he doesn't complete a couple takedowns in the first round, he's going to become a completely different fighter overnight, and that's why, not that I think Makayev can become a future champion by any means, but that's why I do think he can at least get into the top 15, because that cardio alone is going to carry him through a lot of these matchups, I believe. That win that Makayev has on his record against Hayden Schriff. Hayden Schriff, that one's flying by topology. And you hate that. Yeah, hate to see that. Old Schriff, 0-9 as a pro, and as an amateur, he went, uh, what... Oh, and like 11 or 12 or 13. So tricky one there for Hayden Schrift. Why do you turn pro with that Hayden Schrift. For Muhammad Makayev, because you get paid. He is a giant favorite in the matchup as he has been in his UFC contest performance bonus against Cody Durden. Did Muhammad Makayev have? We have a look at the top all votes, Matt. I don't suspect they're going to be close. I don't either. But hopefully I've given the flowers to Filio. I'm going to say over, under... 90% Makayev. I think they'll be over. It's going to be over. 96% Makayev on almost 1,000 total votes. 39% by decision. 51% by submission. For the 4% that I feel you, 44% by knockout. And to me, I might put too much stock into it for, uh, from Makayev because, again, you see the fight against Blaine O'Driscoll. He goes out there, submits him over with Brave. That was a giant win. Cody Durden, it's a quick submission win. Charles Johnson rides it out with a wrestling against a very good fighter in Charles Johnson who he must have seen when he was with Tiger Moy 
Muay Thai because Johnson's been there recently training. Spider-Man me. And then his last time out, I thought the striking defense regressed to a point that we saw when he was with IMMAF as a very young man. So I'm eager to see what changes he's able to implement. And maybe there was a an aspect of cockiness in there against a guy like Gordon where he able to just kind of dart out of the way because he dropped his hands and put his head out. And that that just that's how you get put on a poster. Luke Rockhold's seen it. Hopefully he doesn't have to see it in BKFC. I have Muhammad Makayev in the matchup, but Jafel Filio is a big underdog and has a, a, a chance, so to say. He has a chance, but I do have Makayev in this matchup. All right, Matt. So both of us going with Punisher, Muhammad, Makayev, Thomas Jane to get the win. Some big-time fights on this card and a lot of fighters out of the UK. You're not going to want to miss. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. Battle of lightweight prospects looking to impress in their respective UFC debuts. We have Watford's own, the future Sam Patterson, taking on Red Fox. No, it's not Fred Sanford. It's Yanal Ashmoz and Matt coming up this weekend. These two guys, I mean, they have been very impressive as of late. And if you have a look at it, I mean, Sam Patterson, he fought on Dana White's Contender Series this past summer. He was the impromptu kind of like co-main event. I mean, it's hard to really look all that great when you're fighting right before Bo Nickel. But for Patterson, he was able to go out there. He had a very, very impressive performance. And he took on a very, very well-seasoned fighter in Venetia Sensi, a guy who was a knockout artist in his own right. So I want to throw it on back to a clip from our Contender Series videos from this past summer, really giving praise to Sam Patterson. This is a fight that I've been expecting for a long, long time. And we kind of talked about Sam Patterson. You might remember it at the end of last year. And I threw a line out there because John Gooden put a tweet out and he said, I'm working on a project about Sam Patterson. I thought, what John Gooden's working on something on his own and it's not UFC related. What is this? So I threw him a line and he said, yeah, it's coming out in December. Check it out. He did like a behind the scenes uh, in camp with Sam Patterson. Holy smokes. You talk about a guy that's dedicated to like cardio. It's like Brandon Davis before they sent him outside of the UFC, but that's what Sam Patterson does all the damn time. And you normally don't look at tall, thin fighters in the lower weight classes and think, wow, cutting all that weight's really going to help their cardio. But you're right. Sam Patterson never stops going. And that's a really nice thing to see from a guy who has to use his range as effectively as he does. The thing that I do like about Patterson is he doesn't really get dissuaded by anything. But he's going to stick to the game plan. He's going to be steady. And I think that's going to be really important in this matchup. We both talked about, I'm just, I, just let me finish this, about Sam Patterson. We don't often talk about fighters before they get on Contender Series. Sam Patterson's someone who we both know about for a little while now. Um, but Matt, yeah, when we focus in on this one, I wrote a ton down. But when you look at Sam Patterson, the nickname's The Future. Macy Barber's the first future. We got to stop with this. Ian Machado Gary's the second future. <laughs> it's he, too bad. He's a really interesting guy because if you look at it, he trains at a team crossface, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brand belt. He's got that win over UFC vet Felipe Silva. Now for Felipe, he went 0-2 in the UFC. But if you like watching the Cody Garbrandt knockout over Rafael Asuncao, go watch Sam Patterson knockout poor, poor Felipe Silva. It's full extension right hook to drop him out. Like he was out... Like Larry the Enticer, are you silly? He was completely knocked out. And if you look at it, like some of his other fights, we talked about this off air. His fight against Magomedov, he's getting out wrestled. He's getting pressured. He doesn't have much, uh, you know, to give his opponent. I'm going to put the mic down. He gets Magomedov in and then he cranks the submission. And then once it gets down to the mat, he rolls it. He gets a finish, all that body weight. He's out of Watford. 
maybe he's a big soccer fan, but he, the one thing that I, the, the couple things I will say, Sam Patterson fights with low hands and it's not like Julian Arosa. And it's not like, you know, some of the fighters that we have on this weekend's Dern Jown on cards. So you better watch those videos, but he does walk guys down with low hands. He can get hit. The reason I know he has a good chin is because he gets hit clean in some of his fights. This is going to be a bit of a hot take, but they were both in Brave, so like maybe we could get it because the other guy hasn't won in the UFC yet. Sam Patterson could fight Gurom next. Is that no, too much? he's not. No, yeah, he's, that's fair. way too much. I, I remember I was like, wait, poor Felipe Silva. We got to give Felipe oh. Silva more of a shout out because he did go from fighting Gurom to Sam Patterson back to back, and that's a terrible roll of the dice for anybody not in the UFC. Well, folks, we've reached the conclusion of Dana White's Contender Series 2022. I mean, it's been a great year with the picks. It's been a lot of fun. You guys wanted the show. We wanted to have some fun with it, Matt. We have one week left. We want to end up in the plus. The pick here, I'm going with Sam Patterson. Uh, I've been talking about this guy for a really long time. I've been really impressed by his skill set. And if you look at it in 2022, Lightweight's still on fire. You look at the guys that he's beaten. I mean, Kunkar, Pasha, Ozmaev, where he finished them in the second round. The Kamil Magomedov submission win was amazing and a come from behind. The Juron fight was great with Brave CF uh, 51 last year. And the Felipe Silva knockout that he had a couple of years ago in 2020. This is a guy that's been fighting high-level competition and winning impressively. Sure, there's things that you might not like, whether he's 6'4 or 6'3. He does the Luke Rockhold lean back. He does the lean back and he has low hands, but he has power in his hands. He has a good chin. He has good jujitsu and he can really bring everything together in MMA. So for me, I like him over a very unproven sensei who has a bit of a questionable record. So I, I got to go with Sam Patterson. So the Sensi fight was a little weird because Sensi was about a two to one favorite in the matchup. And in the first round, all three judges scored at four. Sensi, Sensi took him down, Sensi outlanded him, landed a lot of hooks with that crazy kind of southpaw range. Patterson found himself into the fight, second round Sensi started to tire, and Patterson, he sensied some blood. He so did. he went out there, he gets the finish, Dana White was all about it, but when you do consider it, I mean, we touched on Patterson quite a bit in this one. John Gooden, oddly enough, wasn't a commentator for that fight, he was like, he talked... But he was like, well, Patterson lives a street away from me. He was kind of really all about it. But when you look at it for Yanala Schmoz, and it's spelled A-S-H-M-O-Z by the UFC and Topology and SureDog. But on Yanal's own Instagram page and the way that PFL spelled it, there's a U in his last name. So my apologies if that ends up getting changed throughout the week. And yes, we know his first name, what it rhymes with, Flannel. It's Yanel. But if you look at it for Yanel Ashmoz, I mean, the guy's 6-0, and and he's put on some really impressive performances. Yeah. And if you consider it, the last three fights are with more major organizations. Third to last fight in, with uh, Ring of Combat, he takes on Armando Gatesia. His last time uh, out, he was taking on Dennis Hughes over with the PFL, and before that, took on Ryan Risco over at CFFC. I've seen Yanel look you know, labored in some of these fights, but he always wins. I've seen him throw wild looping hooks because that's going to be the big kind of story of this week. You know, his build as five foot nine and Sam Patterson, six, three huge, but you know, almost looks smaller than that. So I'm really eager to see what we get out of these two guys. Cause you know, his forearms, he looks like Dan Ugla for, for the, wow, the fish, shout out. the Florida Marlins, or I guess, you know, it's time that he spent with the Atlanta Braves. Braves yeah. That's who I think of. But when you look at both of these guys, Matt, you know, so good at kind of closing distance, throwing those wild shots and then landing head kicks. His hips must be so darn flexible. 
I think this is going to be a, a fight that not a lot of people focus on, but for two hungry guys making their respective UFC debuts, it could be a lot of fun. It should be a really fun fight, but my problem is the way that Yanal fights is going to open up a lot of the grappling for a guy like Patterson, and Patterson's a weird fighter because defensively with his striking, I do worry about him, especially when he starts to fight some of the upper echelon guys in the lightweight division. Like, we're just talking now about a guy like Fizzy fighting for not a, a, a title eliminator, really, but just fighting to become one of the elite fighters in the division. Think of everything Fazeev has had to go through in the UFC. He's fought veterans. He's fought guys who are also on the rise like he is. Like, he has had to go through the ringer to get to where he is at in the UFC to fight for this spot in the division. So, in the lightweight division, we always talk about this. In some divisions, you'll, you only need, what, three, maybe four wins. You can get a ranked opponent. In the lightweight division, you need seven, eight, maybe even nine wins to get a ranked opponent. But what I will say to Patterson is he does have a very high ability to get finishes in his fights. And you had brought it up, too. He's a guy who the second his opponent starts to tire with their pace at all, he really does pick up on it, and he does pounce on them after that, which is an educated thing for a prospect to do, but I do worry about him again when he starts to fight guys up near the top of the division, who have that not only 15-minute cardio, but 25-minute cardio too. I wonder when he does kind of find his positions to float in and out of the fight. We'll see in this matchup against Ajmos because he trains at a K-Warrior Dojo tribe, or K-Dojo Warrior tribe, which is the gym that... Habib Nurmagomedov settled with when he came to the States and then he moved to AKA, but you've seen Alexander Yakovlev out of that gym. You've seen Azamat Mirzakhanov out of that gym. A lot of ofs in the last names of, of folks training at that gym in Fairfield, New Jersey. So an interesting move there for him, but I went down through all of these, you know, Ajmo's fights that you can find out there and they're very readily available. You go through it, pro turn back in 2017. First uh, three fights as a pro are over in Israel. And then... You, you see those two over with KO. So his fight against Yona Kohana. I've never seen a more disgusting guillotine choke in my life. That guy picks him up in the air and chokes the lights out of him. So a big win there. He beats Abdallah in the second round. He beat Gatesia in the third round. They have that as a second round win. In the fight against Abdallah, he gets beat for pretty much all of that fight. And then he lands a really big shot and knocks him out. But he does have that power. That's the thing that we do have to, like, give him and credit for. Because he can fall back in these fights, but he carries power late. He has that one-shot ability. Because that's the thing. I don't want us to get overlooked by his technical or deficiencies, I guess. In his fight against Gatesia, he struggles with the takedowns. He struggles with the striking. He struggles with everything. And then that was the one it was in the third round. Gatesia just kind of lets his hands go down just a little bit. Yanal's throwing, like, wild for the fences. Yanal lands one shot with this side, and then he lands this wild overhand left, and Gatesha, like a sack of potatoes, hits the ground. And then in Yanal's fight against Ryan Risco, Risco's rinse and repeat with the takedowns, beats him in the first round, beats him in the second round, beating him in the third round, and then well, in the third round, that's where he ends up getting the finish. So you look at that one, I mean, Yanal is a finisher. I know all the wins until the Dennis Hughes fight are by finish. Hughes was taking him down a little bit in the start, and then Ashmos was able to defend some of those takedowns, work his own striking. Ashmos was a pretty big favorite at the start of that fight, about a 3-1. to one. He gets the win, but the weirdest part about it is he's going to be a year to the day removed from his last win over at the PFL. And it's weird. You don't see a lot of PFL Challenger Series fighters no, exactly. end up in the UFC. In December, it was late December, was when Ajmo signed with the UFC. Uh, and now he's matched up in this one against Patterson. We touched on Patterson's level of competition it's in good. that Contender Series video. So, Matt, we've talked a lot about these two prospects. Both guys are very impressive. For Ashmo's, I should say, to really accentuate the highs, his cardio, I don't know how he does it. 
because he throws absolutely everything into all of his shots through all of it. The technique might not be there all the time, but he's continued to improve in every single exactly. fight. His takedown defense isn't the best, but it has gotten better. K Dojo Warrior Tribe, you're only going to get better there training out of the state. So again, he is a very, very wild fighter. Uh, he can get beaten, but then he tends to rally back in a lot of these ones. I mean, Patterson is a pretty big favorite. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 75% Sam Patterson. I think they'll be over. I think they're going to be over. They're over. So 835 total votes, 91% Patterson, 55% by submission. For the 9% that have Ajmo's, 58% by decision. Ajmo's could clip Patterson, and I don't say that as a, like, oh, it could happen, but it probably won't. It could because Sam Patterson can struggle, you know, just waiting yeah. and waiting and waiting, and he's susceptible to getting hit. He's got hit big and clean in some of these other fights, but he typically tends to struggle with takedown defense, and I don't know if Ajmo's is going to incorporate that offensively in his game. So, for me, I do like Sam Patterson, the straight shots to get through. Uh, for him to be able to pick his power shots, he does a really good job of landing, like, double up, triple up, jab, right hand. And if he takes him down. So, I'm going to go with Sam Patterson in the fight, but this is a very exciting fight between a couple of lightweight prospects. It is. This is a weird fight because I think if Sam Patterson wins, I'm going to admit this right now, I'm going to have a higher opinion of him than I probably should because I was higher, or I was quite high on him coming into the UFC. They're still quite high on him. I do expect him to win this fight, but this is going to be that learning opportunity that we often talk about. So if he does look good, maybe we don't learn a lot just based on where Yanal is in his own career, but I do think Patterson is favored to win this fight for a good reason. Matt, both of us going with the future. Ian Machado, Gary, no. Uh, Macy Barber, nope. Sam Patterson. It's an overused nickname. Got to pick a new nickname. A big time fight coming up this weekend. A lot of prospects out of the UK on this card taking place in London with two big fights up at the top. Gaethje taking on Fazeev. And then you have Leon Edwards defending that belt against Kamaru Usman. You're not going to want to miss. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get, get into it. it. Scotland stand up. The second of three fighters representing Scotland coming up this UFC, making his UFC debut with a name that is incredibly close to Christian Duncan. It's just Chris Duncan, the problem. And for Duncan, he's going to be taking on Venezuelan fighter Omar Morales. And he was on the lowest rung of the nickname tier list that we had here on the channel. So you can check out that video. But for Omar Morales, an extended hiatus. We haven't seen him in about a year. The last time he took on Uros Medic, he got dropped twice in the second round and finished. A little bit of an early stoppage, but when you get dropped he twice, hurt, it yeah. is what it is. And Morales, in his last four fights, has been really tricky. He got dropped by Giga Chikadze in the third round of their matchup. He beat Shane Young and looked really good in that fight. And he also got completely out-wrestled and dominated by Jonathan Pierce. So for Morales, a reset. This one at 155 pounds, as was the fight against Medich. But Chris Duncan is not nearly as big as Uros no. Medich. Both of these guys with some Bellator successes, they saw that. And for Chris Duncan, he was one of those guys that needed two opportunities on the Contender Series. First one didn't go his way. Gritty first round, and then in the second round, he ends up getting caught by a counter hook from one Slava Claus, Slava Borshov. Duncan goes down under the regional scene, picks up a win over a man who was 6-4. and four. And then Duncan's last time out, Week 2, Dana White's Contender Series, main event slot. He takes on Charlie Campbell. And in that one, Matt, what a fight. Duncan wins by first round knockout in a spot where it was almost like Dan Hardy, Carlos Condit, but they both threw straight punches. It's just Duncan's hit the face and Campbell's was off a little bit. Campbell gets floored and... 
He's asleep with his eyes wide open. It's as good of a one-round fight as you'll ever see. But that's the point. You're going to forget that if you just look numbers on a page, there's one knockdown. It's Chris Duncan landing on Campbell and Campbell hitting the floor. I counted three knockdowns. Chris Duncan got hurt. I counted three knockdowns for Campbell where Duncan got hit, floored, had his hands to the mat and like pushed himself back up or knee and popped back up. I've never felt those highs and lows watching a contender series fight. I can honestly admit yeah, that. Yeah, Chris Duncan went through the ringer in that matchup and Dana White, God love him with his t-shirt tucked into his jeans saying, Chris Duncan, you're through, bud. A good opportunity for Duncan. But Matt... For both of these guys, Omar Morales, we've seen it in some fights where he pulls out a trap card of he can offensive, offensively wrestle. Defensively, he can struggle a little yeah. bit. I'm interested to see what we get out of Omar Morales because I went back through on his Instagram and it has been, what, 25 weeks since his last picture with Killcliffe FC. He's been training out of the KO zone down in South Florida, out of Miami. And he spent a little bit of time back home because for Omar... His father invented a, a style of martial arts called Slam. So he's been at Slam MMA, MMA a little bit as well. Would you agree with me, though, that this is a weird fight? Because normally when you have the prospect, they can fight in a lot of different ways. You're not really confident about how they're going to approach a matchup. I'm pretty confident I know how Chris Duncan's going to fight this fight. Like, it is going to be one of those car accident type of matchups. But for Omar Morales, you brought it up. He can mix in the wrestling. Sometimes he will throw a lot of volume. Sometimes he'll throw with power. Sometimes he will just get caught in the mirror with his hands up on the back foot. And that's what's going to be interesting about this fight. Because at 37 years of age, it's going to be interesting to see what Omar Morales does. Because we know Duncan's going to come with that big storm in that first round. Be it better or for worse. Like, if Chris Duncan fought Justin Gaethje, it's probably over in 30 seconds. And Gaethje's probably getting his hand raised. But for Duncan in this matchup, we have seen Omar Morales struggle once he gets pressured in fights. Now, be it a lot of those guys do threaten not only with their striking, but with the wrestling too, and I'm not sure if Duncan's going to be able to have that level of success in this matchup, but I do think Morales is the more technical guy, and that's the weird thing. If you just look at their five on in, you look at, hey, Chris Duncan's four and one. He's had a lot of stoppage victories. That looks pretty good, and he is the much younger fighter, but for Omar Morales, you bring up the Giga Chikadze fight, he looked pretty good in that matchup. I know he didn't win the fight, but it's not like he got, he got completely outclassed. Yes, as the fight went on, he did start to slow. And I guess that's my question. For Omar Morales, he always has been a very good two-and-a-half-round fighter. The last kind of half of that third round, you'll wonder about how much his opponent can kind of make up the difference. But in this fight, I do think Omar is going to have the better cardio, depending on how good defensively he can be earlier on. The weirdest part is we get called out by a number of commenters every single week as you guys always go with the prospects. So you guys never pick the older fight. And this is one thing that we got caught with uh, Omar Morales in some of his fights. He has not had those road miles added onto the odometer like some older guys have. And I know he's 37. He only has 14 pro fights. I think the road miles in the last few are going to start to catch They're up a little bit. Up, yeah. But you go down through it. I mean, 3-3 three and three in the UFC. He had a win over in Bellator over Troy Naraki. Finished him in the first round. Then he beat Harvey Park as a big underdog. Harvey Park at one point, a big, oh, big... Goodness. Big time prospect over with the LFA, champ over there, and uh, that just sent his career into a tailspin. We haven't seen Harvey Park since. The one thing I should say, Morales is supposed to fight back in January against Mateusz Rombeski. Morales out of that fight, and then shortly after, booked into this fight against Chris Duncan. So, I'll be interested to see what we get again. Camp change for Omar Morales. He is a tricky guy on the outside to figure out because he is the ultimate technician with his strikes. He is just, a good defensive fighter, yeah. Morales in his last fight against Medich, it's the same thing as Duncan. I think Medish gets two knockdowns. I counted 
Straight left is knockdown number one. Left hook is knockdown number two. Right hook knockdown number three. I counted three knockdowns for Ushmedic in the second round of that matchup. So for Morales, a long time away to, to rest and recover. For Duncan, likewise, he hasn't fought in a long time. Week number two of Dana White's Contender Series was, what, I mean, almost six months ago? A almost seven months time ago. ago, yeah. So a long time away for both of these guys. And if you look at it for Duncan, seven knockout wins on his record. One by submission, one by decision. So two guys that are the ultimate finishers we have a look at the odds very very close in this matchup if i'm not mistaken omar morales is the slight favorite here but if you do yeah he is slight favorite minus 115 or thereabouts so pick them odds we have a look at the topology votes matt surprised us that as they are to you topology voters lately haven't been wild and out like they have no they haven't but i'm still gonna say over under 67 half percent with the the problem chris duncan i think they'll be over i think they're gonna be over way over you're wild again topology so 788 total votes 81 percent duncan 73 percent by knockout for the 19 percent that are morales 60 percent by decision do you agree with the topology voters here i do i'm gonna be going into that narrative that all those commenters are saying hey you guys are only picking the younger fighter i do like duncan in this matchup now i can admit that his over aggressiveness is going to get him caught against some of the higher level athletes in this division. Like we always say about 135, 145, 155, you need a very meaningful win streak to finally break into the rankings. I'm not sure if Duncan's going to be able to do that. That's just my honest opinion. But I do like him in this matchup against Morales. I think he will be the more aggressive fighter out of the two. And I think that will help him win at least the first round and probably the second round too if he's not able to get a finish. It really is tough though because if you look at it for Omar Morales, you rush in there, you can have a lot of success. Medich set it up in the first round kind of was able to really plan away and go after that game plan in the second round. And for Morales to not fight against Medich, Medich was coming off the loss to Jalen Turner and nobody really knew what we were going to get out of him as a fighter. I like Morales in the matchup and I think he can kind of play coy, but somebody that can rush him like a guy in Chris Duncan, that could cause him all sorts of issues. So we're splitting the pick in this one. I'm going with a guy whose nickname I don't necessarily love in the Venezuelan fighter, Omar Morales. Not going with the problem, Chris Duncan. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have. Some big time fights left on this card, including the title fight at welterweight up at the top. Ooh. The trilogy matchup. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Big time fight on the prelims of UFC 286. The 28 fight unbeaten streak is no more for Wales tank Jack Shore. And he's going to be taking on Mr. Finland, Makwan Amir Khani. And this is a really interesting fight because for Jack Shore, first fight at featherweight since 2017. He was the Cage Warriors Bantamweight champ. He came into the UFC. He finished Nolene Hernandez. That was a performance bonus. And he's had some ups and downs, but mainly wins. And you go down through the record, he beats Hunter Azure by split. He then is able to get a win over Lidvik Shalinyan, where he just completely dominated that matchup. And then the last win before, of course, is lost to Ricky Simone. He goes out there against Timur Valiev and had him on skates at multiple points. The ultimate fighter zone, Timur Valiev. But for sure, his last time out, a couple of things got him caught. He didn't have the wrestling advantage against Ricky Simone. He struggled with the fact that he tends to stand really straight up, throwing a lot of his boxing combinations. Simone was able to kind of pick all of that apart, have a wrestling advantage, hit that big time overhand that dropped him and then from there Simone jumps into mount and then a mounted arm triangle which was a really really uh, impressive win for Simone so all of a sudden Shore goes from 28 wins combined amateur and pro to fighting Makwan Amir Khan who's one of four in his last five and Ricky Simone goes to fight Song Yadong in a big time fight so 
really oh how the tides have turned for Simone and for Shore and Matt I know you've had a lot of shine towards Jack Shore Makwan Amir Khani it's been a tough run as of late There's a lot of patina towards but Amir Khani for Makwan I mean from the Andy Ogle win when he comes into the UFC to even his win over Mike Grundy the biggest part for a guy like Amir Khani in a matchup like Shore is maybe he doesn't have the offensive wrestling edge over a guy like Jack Shore but if you do look at it Look at all of the wins that Maquan has by the Darce Choke or the Anaconda Choke. He's got one against Tom Dukanoa, one against Chris Fishgold, one against uh, you know Mike Grundy the last time out. Like those are just some of the guys that he has been able to beat that way. And Danny Henry is the fourth. The trouble that he has is he tends to get dropped in some of his fights. And but that tired. might not happen in the one against Jack Shore. I just worry about the cardio, though, for Amir Khani. Because we talk about some fighters and how in the third round, they might be tired, but they fight in a very similar manner that they did in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, I guess. Because a lot of times talk about guys who really uh, change with their cardio. It is in a fifth-round atmosphere. But for Amir Khani... He does not look like the same guy in the third round as he does in the first round. And I know the wins are impressive because when he is able to get the win, it's really this quick finish by submission or knockout because he's such an explosive guy. But I look at Amir Khani a little bit like I look at Joe Lozon. I know that's a weird name to bring up, but Joe Lozon was a guy for the longest time, was kind of thin, wasn't really looked at as a big puncher, but when he landed big shots, he had pretty good damage on them. And of course, we know how good his submission ability is. And for Amir Khani, he does share a little bit of that. But for Amir Khani, my whole issue has been throughout his whole entire career is the thing that he does best gets him tired and leads him towards the thing that tends to lead him towards losses and that's the issue if Amir Khani had the gas tank of a Marab Devalshvili that's a bit of a cop-out if anybody had the gas tank of Marab Devalshvili they would probably be the UFC champion but you get the idea if he had that type of a gas tank to where he could go out there and kind of spam takedown attempts to really try to get the fight to the mat then I would love the style of Amir Khani but my issue is when he does go for a lot of those takedown attempts when they are thwarted when he is getting hit as a result needing damage he won't go for them as much he'll start to reach a lot for the takedown attempts he won't strike his way into it and against a guy like Jack Shore you're right will he have to worry about the long range strikes not as much but if Amir Khani's cardio starts to get a little bit ticked down, I could see Jack Shore not having a massive grappling advantage just skill-wise in this matchup. Because again, Amir Khani is a good grappler. But if Amir Khani is only 80% of himself by the end of the second round, I could see a world where Jack Shore can get on top and start to really implement his effective grappling. If you look at it for Amir Khani, and we've seen some weird performances. I mean, Jason Knight dropped him twice. Uh, who else was able to drop him? Barboza dropped him twice. Burgos dropped him that once. That was a weird match. Murphy though. dropped him and finished him. But for Amir Khani, the four on in, or the five on in, but the four losses. Barboza with the drops. Camuela Kirk was able to go out there, and once the wrestling, you know, kind of slowed down for Amir Khani, Kirk was able to pick up the stand-up, though a lot of people thought that Amir Khani won that fight. Uh, Murphy got taken down a ton in the first round, rallied back in the second with the knee. Amir Khani on a takedown attempt from Mike Grundy is able to submit him. Quick, Weird extenuating circumstance around that fight. They highlighted the fact that Mike Grundy, like, what was it, his father wasn't, was ill, and but he was there right before the fight. And then against Jonathan Pierce and Amir Khani's last time out. Pierce was like the, the the wave of the tide. I mean, he took him down. He poured on uh, just an onslaught of fists. And then it ended up just a, an accumulation into the TKO loss. So for Jack Shore, again, I touched on it. The fact that he himself has IMMAF lineage. He was a European champion back in 2015. 
It might surprise you. It was a lightweight. He was able to win that at lightweight. Uh, fought all the way through to bantamweight when he switched in 2018. Comes into the UFC as a bantamweight, but he has experience as a featherweight, as a lightweight. So eager to see physically how he matches up it in this be fight because yeah. we saw a fellow prospect out of the UK in Nathaniel Wood have tons of success at bantamweight. Weight cut was too tough. Moves up to featherweight. Looked great in his featherweight debut in the UFC. But Matt, in this matchup, Jack Shore, giant favorite in the matchup. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise us, it is to you. I'm going to say over under 89% Jack Shore. I'm saying over. It's over. 945 total votes, 94% sure. 62% by decision for the 6% that of Amir Khani. 54% by submission. Maybe there's a chance that Mako and Amir Khani wins by submission. I mean, hell. Alexa Grasso is a flyweight champ. Exactly. And Juliana Pena beat Amanda Nunes. I'm going to say Jack Shore in the matchup. But uh, for me... I like the consistency through three rounds. I like the boxing. I like the takedowns. And Jack Shore is a heavy guy when he is on top. Exactly. And for sure, I, I don't look at Amir Khani the same way I look at Ricky Simone. I have rose-colored color, glasses with Ricky Simone, fighter. though. But when I look at it for Jack Shore, seven of his eight submission wins are by rear naked choke, whereas Amir Khani's specialty is landing the darts, rolling it into an anaconda. It could be, there could be some really tricky scrambles in this one. I just, I, I do like Jack Shore in the matchup. I like Jack Shore too. I just hope we see a good version of him up at 145 pounds. Because again, first foray into the division, it is a very deep division too. So hopefully Shore does look good. Hopefully he matches up well physically in the division. But I also have Jack Shore in this fight. Both of us going with Wales' own tank, Jack Shore, fighting out of Shore Martial Arts. Father's Jim, he got his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt from him. And Mach 1 fights out of... Well, the M.A. gym, the Makwan Amir Khani gym. So a couple of guys looking to get it done at Featherweight. Some big time fights on this card, Matt, including Marvin Vittori and Roman Delidze. I can't wait for it. Make sure you check out the video. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. The Georgian takeover continues following Marab Dwashvili's big-time main event win last weekend over Pyotr Jan. We have Roman Delidze riding a four-fight win streak, three-fight bonus streak, our 2022 Male Fighter of the Year with Fight Night Picks is Roman Delidze, and he's going to be looking to take on the former middleweight title challenger in this UFC's division in the Italian dream, Marvin Vittori. Matt, I don't normally start off with storylines on this one. But Roman Delidze for this fight is training with like half the, the roster that's on this card at Tiger Muay Thai. And he's training with a lot of really good fighters. And I'll bring up names as we go along. But Marvin Vittori, a longtime Kings MMA guy, he's aligned himself with Extreme Couture. I find that extremely interesting coming into this fight. Too much, too young, too fast. I got a weird problem with this fight, Craig. I really enjoy the rise that Roman Delizze has had throughout the middleweight division and what he has been able to show. Oh, time out. You sound like a broken record. F***ing guys won three times as an underdog. Two of those fights on short notice. Three performance bonuses. Fighter of the yeah, year, 2022. Like, he could not have impressed me anymore last season, but... This is a weird matchup for him. Again, we bring up the poster that we have to our right over here, but how Anthony Smith was able to pull off the big upset over Vulcan Ustamir. He was a guy who was ranked in the double digits in the division, who was given that big opportunity to fight up against the number one, number two ranked contender in Alexander Volkov. Or sorry, in Vulcan Ustamir. And for Ruben Delizze, he does find himself in a very similar position in this division. He looked great last year. He had a lot of promise, but this is a significant step up in competition between his recent string of opponents. And it will be interesting 
interesting because Mervyn Vittori, if you've only watched him since the pay-per-view against Adesanya and the fight against Robert Whittaker, then okay, maybe you don't have the greatest of opinion against or of him, but... Mervyn Vittori probably gets more shoutouts than any other fighter in this whole entire channel. And yes, I'm probably guilty of this, but Mervyn Vittori is the guy who I bring up every whoa, single whoa, whoa. week. Yes, I'm probably... It's not me that's shouting him out. No, it's me, 100... Now, you shout him out every now and then, I guess, but I do really like to bring up the fact that Mervyn Vittori is a guy who, when he came into the UFC, had good boxing, some basic kicks, had great wrestling, but we didn't really see the blend of those two skill sets together. But, of course, as he was able to go up through the ranks, we really have seen him implement not only the wrestling, but the wrestling with the boxing and with his plus cardio, too. And I really do think all those things are going to play a factor against Roman Delizia. Just This is a weird fight, because I would like to see Roman Delizia. I know he's 34 years old, but in the middleweight Division, you've got some time at 34. We saw Yoel Romero fight for the title in his 40s. So for Delinze, it would have been nice to see him fight only maybe two spots up in the rankings, maybe three spots up in the rankings, because no matter what your opinion of Martin Vittori is, we have seen him fight the majority of the top-level guys in the middleweight division. We know what he excels at. We know what his weaknesses are in. And we know he has lasting ability for 25 minutes, not only 15 minutes. And I do think Delizze is really going to struggle with the pace of a guy like Vittori. And that's going to be the weird thing about it. Now, I thought all those holes were kind of shored up for Roman Delizze because he was a guy, WWFC, he was a champ over there, light heavyweight champ, and... His striking was wild, but that's what got it done. He comes into the UFC, fights Hadis Ibrahimov at light heavyweight, and he beats him, showing those skills. And then he takes on John Allen, and it was a little bit of a puzzling fight. Now, Delizze wins by split, but he was in positions. He was at Extreme Tour at that time where he was like, okay, coach, you like this coach? Like, hey, coach. And Eric Nixick was kind of, yeah. So it was a bit of a weird one. Delizze wins, so what? Now, at this point, it's... I'm going to be a middleweight, I'm going to be a light heavyweight, nobody knows what's going to go on. So then he drops down to middleweight and he fights Trevin Giles. And he got caught in that a little bit, and he slowed down a little bit. And I just remember, like, Giles out there pumping that jab, and Roman's kind of eating the jab as the fight goes on. But since he started to win, he's kind of gone back to the Roman of old. And this is the craziest part about it, Matt. Roman Delizze is our 2022 Fighter of the Year on the channel in the award show. People wanted Delizze to win Submission of the Year over Jack Hermanson with a calf slicer. Fair? He didn't even fucking win by submission due to a calf slicer. Well, he sliced his calf and knocked him out. Or won by TKO. It was close. So for Delizze, again, the Kyle Dawkins fight, he goes balls to the wall like he used to with WWFC. The fight against Phil Hawes, he does the same thing. And then against Hermanson, first round, it's a little bit of back and forth. Second round, Delizze of old... I just wonder, again, now the tricks are out. You've switched gyms, and Martin Vittori's probably S making friends with Sergey Spivak and Chris Curtis is, and boys. Is Roman Delizze Javi Baez with the Mets? I know that's a weird comparison to make, but Javi Baez was a guy who has was very talented with the Chicago Cubs, but after they had won the World Series, people noticed there was a weird hitch in his swing, and they did start to notice weaknesses in his game. Now, he went to the Mets, it was really good for them, to his credit. Now, was terrible with the Detroit Tigers last year, but I just think for Delizze, it is odd, because again, he has obvious strengths and weaknesses. Do you know what the one X factor in this fight, though, is that I think Roman can have a lot of success in? He lands damaging shots from weird angles. When guys are close to him, again, the Kyle Dawkins knee is an obvious example of it, but of course, he has great dexterity, not only in his hips, but his arms too. Well, and he can make you pay when you think your head is defended. And Marvin Vittori is a guy who has great wrestling, but he will get caught in some of those just holding his opponent up against the cage spots. And if he does that against the Lindsay, 
Delinze is one of the rare few who is like Travis Brown to where, okay, when he's defending a takedown, he's a legitimate threat from that position too. So that's why I think this is such a fun fight. But I did play my hand a little bit. I just think Delinze needs a couple more fights before he's really ready for some of these elite guys well, in the division. Delinze's ranked eighth in the division. Vittori's ranked fourth. And if you look at the three fight sample size for Vittori, the last three have been kind of tough and you almost have to think he he's got to- He didn't look bad against Adesanya though. I think that's fair. He's got to reinvent himself a little bit. Against Adesanya, he's kind of chasing a little bit and and maybe there were points that were good the fight against paulo costa he wins at light heavyweight and it was a banger but his cardio looked good paulo costa brought it and then the fight against robert whitaker he couldn't figure out the distance at all in that fight and whitaker had a ton of success whitaker even took him down but you look at it four main event slots for vittori hermanson holland ufc 263 against adesanya and then against costa two co-main event slots one against whitaker that was ufc france last time we saw vittori and one Against Carl Robertson, where they had bad blood, Shibata was shed, and Vittori, you talk about a guy that, like, saw every single move. He probably could have taken chopsticks and flicked a fly as he was going for the submission win there. Vittori looked amazing in that one. But again, you know that Delidze, a FILA world champion grappling the last time they had the tournament, and an ADCC trials champ as well. You look at the odds, Vittori's a pretty big favorite in the matchup. Delidze is a pretty big underdog, riding a wave of success. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Honest to goodness, I have no idea where this is going to I don't either. I'm going to say over, under, 70% Marvin Vittori. I think they'll be over. I think they're going to be over. Slightly under. 1,055 total votes, 68% Vittori, 89% by decision. For the 32% that I have Delidze, 43% by decision, 29% by knockout. I think the Jack Hermanson fights are telling for both guys. Now, Jack Hermanson doesn't fight like Roman Delidze. Marvin Vittori does. So, for Roman against Jack, wait it out, figure it out. And then go out there and implement your own game plan. For Marvin Vittori, when he fought Jack Hermanson, what did he do? Match the volume, kept a steady output, and looked good as the fight went on. on yeah. Now, that fight was a five-round fight. And against Roman, it's easier said than done. But Trevin Giles had that kind of success as well. So, for Vittori, clinch... Hang out at range, and that's about that, I guess. And that's why I do have Vittori in this fight. I think Delize can look good for a couple of minutes every single round, but I do think he's going to struggle at a minute-to-minute basis by a scoring criteria, if you will, because at the end of a lot of rounds, Vittori will have clinch control. He will have cage control. He'll probably have a takedown here or there. I do respect the grappling of Delize, don't get me wrong, but Marvin Vittori's never been a guy who's been out there and really got sufficiently out-grappled. Now, you bring up the takedown he gave up to Robert Whitaker, but that was at the end of the fight. Vittori was down by two rounds already. He was very aggressive at that point. So Whitaker just ducked under and took what was easiest for him. But I do favor Vittori not only with the output, but just with his activity too. I didn't think a lot of my Vittori before he did do his rise to the top of the division, but I've been sadly impressed by what I've seen. And he's kind of turned into, I don't mean this in a disrespectful term whatsoever. I mean, this is a huge compliment. He's got my new uh, Derek Brunson. You know, if you beat Marvin Vittori, you might be ready for a title shot. You're probably ready for a title shot, but you're definitely one of the elite of the division. So if Delice is able to spring the upset this weekend, I would be very surprised, but I do have my inventory. Old friends become strangers. New friends become dangerous. Never does it ever let me down. Tell me you have real friends. Tell you have real friends, Matt. I don't like the guy that sings that song, but Roman Delize training with OFC middleweight champ Daniel Prakaza and Dimitri Arshkev, some really heavy hitters over there with Tiger Muay Thai. People get mad because I was on the Delidze train coming into the UFC. Give if me you, the big underdog, Roman Delidze. If you're going to look at the piece of paper I'm to back remember on. their name. I'm back on. To remember Tory Lanes, the guy's an absolute <laughs> That is no, the no, song. No, I just mean to remember the guy. 
But when it comes down to this one, Matt, for Roman Delidze, training with some of the best over there with Tiger Muay Thai, I favor him in this matchup for the fact that Vittori hasn't looked as good, even in the Costa fight. However, if you're going to get the secrets, you're going to get figure out what the 11 herbs and spices are at Extreme Couture, Marvin Vittori could very well have a leg up in this competition. So we're split on the pick. Matt's got the Italian dream. I'm going with Roman Delidze in the matchup. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have in a very volatile middleweight matchup. Some great fights on this card, including a welterweight title fight up at the top between Edwards and Usman the third time. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. it. Aaron Blanchfield might have won the fan support with their wins over Molly McCann and then of course Jessica Andrade in the recent co-main or main event slot rather of the fight night but when you look at it for Casey O'Neill she was that original oh, she yeah. was that one that everybody was all excited about Casey O'Neill long awaited return just over a year on the shelf and King Casey's going to be taking on former title challenger Jennifer Mayan for O'Neill her last time out technically she took on a former title challenger exactly. or title fighter in Roxanne Modafferi Modafferi's retirement fight Casey O'Neill's coming out party and in that fight Casey O'Neill set a UFC flyweight record, women's flyweight record. She went 229 to 120 in significant strikes. And Matt, in that fight, Judge Robert Alexander scored it 29-28 Roxanne Modafferi. I don't know what fight Robert was watching. Not the same one I was. He also scored Vandera Arlovsky for Vandera. He was the only one that scored it that way. But when it does come down to this fight, Matt, Casey O'Neill, I'll put it up there. The story was originally on ESPN, but she's been out for this length of time because of an ACL exactly. injury. Now, for O'Neill, she trains out of extreme to couture with somebody who's had a lot of knee injuries and looked amazing in her comeback fight, Tatiana Suarez. O'Neill trains also with Taylor Guardado, who I think is up on the poster in the corner when she fought Kayla Harrison, somebody who has a win over Ronda Rousey as Taylor Guardado as an amateur, and Cheyenne Vlismas over there at Extreme Tour. But for O'Neal, the craziest part about it is she sets that kind of like big time record. It's almost like a uh, Wayne Gretzky points record in, in the single season, like something you don't think anybody's ever going to touch. 229 wow. significant strikes in a fight is wild. But for O'Neal, she's not even known as a striker. So that's kind of the craziest part about that last performance against Montefiore. It was really nice to see. And of course, significant strikes do take into account ground strikes. And that's what Casey O'Neal is so effective in. But of course, that's been the nice thing to see out of Casey O'Neal throughout her career. When I think of Casey O'Neal in my mind's eye, it's, hey, get people to the ground, get in side control, get in full man. Be that grimy fighter. But to her credit, she's one of these fighters who has been able to improve on the part of her game that you don't often see as much of. And that's what I see out of Casey O'Neill because not that the striking has caught up to where the grappling is because I still feel like the grappling is at the forefront of her game because Casey O'Neill's an interesting fighter. People have brought this up throughout years now but how in women's MMA there's a lot more head and arm throws than there are traditional takedowns but Casey O'Neill has great single leg and double leg takedowns and I do think that really helps her in this fight but I know you like rap music Craig you know I like rap music I'm a big future fan. My guillotine. Drink from Zane. I think the guillotine of Jennifer Maya is going to What be are they putting in their drinks, Matt? Promethazine, which is... They put promethazine in their drinks. That's not how Future says it in the song, Craig. Come on now. My whole point is, for Jennifer Maya, I'm going to be really confused, or at least intrigued, to see how are her defensive submissions going to look in this matchup. Because if she's not able to keep Casey O'Neill at bay with her striking... And that's been the weird thing about Jennifer Maya. Is she a bad striker? 
Not at all. I, I wouldn't say so. I don't think a lot of people would say she is, but she does lack the heavy hands that some of the other fighters in this division do have, and I think Casey O'Neill's a unique fighter into where she's improved on her striking defense and her striking as a whole, but I think she'll struggle against the likes of, like, a Manafio Ho, even a Valentina Shevchenko. Which which was the fight that a lot of people wanted for O'Neill coming off the Modafferi when most people thought it was going to be Phil but then just a few weeks after the fight against Modafferi was when the injury came. And that's the big thing about this fight for Casey O'Neill. You brought it up. Eric Blanchfield last time out kind of had that opportunity to jump a bunch of spots in the rankings and get your name into the elite of the division. Casey O'Neill finds herself in a very similar position. So I'm very curious to see if O'Neill wins this matchup, do they put her against Blanchfield? Do they do her against Shevchenko? Like this division is in a weird log jam because there's a lot of very, very high tier prospects, but also the champion just lost. She's probably getting a rematch. I don't really know where Flyway goes from here. Well, and even the other equation to this one with Jennifer Maya, like the craziest part about it is if you watch watched her time in the UFC she's a former Invicta champ that is known but if you like put a dollar on every Jennifer Maya fight and I don't recommend that anybody does but I'm just saying it this way she's 5-5 in the UFC she's been a favorite twice in the UFC once against uh, Jessica I and once against Roxanne Modafferi so it's kind of crazy to see you've been an underdog eight different times and you've been able to win out on some of these fights Maya was an underdog her last time out against a great volume striker Marina Moroz and Maya was able to go out there and utilize really good boxing because what does Jennifer Maya do not throw a ton of kicks she'll throw a leg kick reset get back into that really high guard but that high tie stance just opens up her boxing combination. So A, I'll be eager to see if O'Neal's able to go out there and flow in her combinations like she did the last time. Because her head didn't move a whole lot. She no. did kind of dip over to the left quite a bit after combinations and before as well. But O'Neal looked amazing her last time out. She's looked really, really good in the UFC. She's favored in this fight, although she's been out for a very long time. And I mean, even the O'Neal lineage, her dad Cam with uh, Eternal MMA... Don't want to make the mistake of calling it the other no. organization over with Hex. But even her sister, her sister Robin just uh, had her first amateur fight at the end of last year. So congrats to the O'Neill family there. But when you do look at this one, Matt, I know Maya has some submission wins on her record. She had that round against Valentina Shevchenko where apparently Alexa Grasso was able to kind of even Shevchenko go trip. further with that one. But Maya had success with one of the rounds on the ground. She has that armbar win against, and I know she's on the card, but against JoJo Calderwood that got her the shot at the title. I don't know if Maya has the same ground game as Casey O'Neill. I wasn't necessarily, and I've said it before, sold on O'Neill's ground game coming into the OC because she'd either get taken down and then she'd kind of scramble into a favorable exactly. position to win. O'Neill's striking's definitely come a long way. It's just to me, I know Maya might seem like a tough test in the mind of the fans, and a lot of people might want to go with the young prospect here. I'm, I'm kind of hung up on this pick is what I'm saying. It is a difficult pick because, again, Maya has the de the defense story of a lot of what O'Neal does. If Maya gets taken down, is she fish out of water on her back? Not at all. So I do think Maya is going to make this a very interesting fight. And for O'Neal, it would be nice if, okay, she gets the takedown and then gets tested as a defensive grappler from the top position. Because when she does fight the Alexa Grossos of the world, the Aaron Blanchfields of the world, the Valentinas of the world, that's going to be a pretty big part of the game and of the fight. So I think this is a great fight to just figure out how good a fighter like Casey O'Neal is. Now, I will say this, a weird fight to bring her back on off of an ACL surgery because normally a fight like that, and this is what I don't like about the UFC, I say this all the time. In boxing, people like to discredit kind of warm-up fights, but the good thing about a warm-up fight is 
Okay, you get that under your belt, you kind of get adjusted to your body, and then we can give you the difficult matchup. I know people love the UFC for this fact, and again, I love it too for this fact, but for O'Neal, if you're in her camp, you probably want her to take not an easy fight by any means. I don't want my words to get misconstrued, but you get the idea. Again, you don't want to take Jennifer Maya next and then kind of figure out how good you are, but I do think your wrestling is going to be a big X factor in this matchup, because for as good of a grappler as Maya is, she has good striking, great jujitsu. it is the wrestling that she can struggle with. Well, when it comes down to it, O'Neal is slightly favored in the matchup. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt surprised us there. You, I'm going to say over under 80% Casey O'Neill. I think I got my first one wrong the last time out and I'm a little bit rattled over it. I do have Casey O'Neill and I think it'll be over. You think it's going to be over? It is over. 932 total votes, 87% O'Neill, 81% by decision, 13% of Jennifer Maya, 82% by deci decision. I don't vote on topology. I'm in the 13%. I think Jennifer Maya wins a decision like in this it. fight. I think she waltzes around on the outside and lands boxing combinations. Casey O'Neill continues to get better and even with the injury she will have gotten better the men and women at extreme couture are, are legit. incredibly good at sharpening iron i don't know if they do knife sharpening you ever seen francis and god who wrestle after he couldn't do whether it's injury. nick sick whether it's chris curtis some of the veterans at that gym do such a good job at prepping people for the fights and for o'neill I think she has an offensive wrestling advantage over Jennifer Maya, and that's where she can really capitalize on. I just I like the boxing of Jennifer Maya. I went with her against Moroz, and I felt pretty good about it. I'm gonna go with her here in uh, this matchup. Uh, I like the volume striking of, Mar or of Maya, sorry, in this matchup, but I just think the wrestling defense ever is going to be such a detriment to where uh, that's why I pick Casey O'Neill. I don't know if she'll get a submission or a TKO win, nothing like that, but just being in that top position normally does win you the round, and for those reasons, I know Casey O'Neill, but again, this is that big step up in competition to finally prove how good of a contender you are, so if you beat Jennifer Maya, then it's off to the races. Flyweight matchup coming up this weekend. We're split on the pick. Matt, a big time Time card, including okay. the next fight. Gooder Nelson's taking on Bam Bam Brian Barberina. Should be a great one. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. This time last year, Iceland's Gunnar Nelson came off a two-and-a-half-year layoff. He took on Takashi Sato, completely ground him out, as dominant a performance you can get without a finish, and rode off into the night sunset that they have in Iceland. And way down we go! Yeah, Gunnar Nelson, I mean, loves the music. But when it does come to Nelson, I mean, it's been a really interesting run. You know him for the submissions. Okay. You know him for the karate stance. You know him for sometimes getting hit, giving one to take one, and... What the hell does Brian Barbarina do if it's not given one to take one? <laughs> Barbarina doesn't know a boring fight. He dropped Vicente Luque, got dropped at the end of that fight. He ends up getting finished. But I went down, I watched a lot of the fights. I, I looked at like how many bonuses do these guys have? Because Bar Barbarina, five fight of the nights. Lawler, Brown, Witt, Luque, and Laprise, Canada's own. And for Gunnar Nelson, the craziest part about it is incredibly low striking output numbers it's uh the strike differential 1.83 to 3.05 but out of all of that seventh all time in ufc history 60.4 percent significant strike accuracy accuracy so nelson picks his shots plays around on the outside doesn't tend to get hit a lot but when he does it counts i mean you look at the leon edwards shot where edwards goes like this with his forearm and traps Gunnar Nelson there and then lands a left and drops him. And oh, was, the elbow was filled. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy drop. Edwards is on top, hammering away to end the round. But for Nelson, he's been around the block. He was kind of that promised prospect. To me, I look at Gunnar Nelson like a Rory McDonald in my head of 
McDonald hit those high highs. He won the Bellator title and whatnot, but Nelson never really has. And I know he's only 34 years old. The clock's been ticking. Ponzinibbio's had late success off of layoffs, and so is Barbarina. It was a split decision though against Leon Edwards. I think that's fair to say. Like I know we got rewarded yeah, a split decision. Edwards won <laughs> every round of that fight. Oh, grappled Gunnar Nelson. Like he beat Gunnar Nelson in the areas Gunnar's supposed to excel at and dominated him in the places we thought Leon Edwards were. I just that's always a weird fight because people try to fondly remember that fight as hey, Gunnar Nelson won a split decision against Leon Edwards. No, none of that. Like Edwards won the fight. Exactly. And he soundly won that fight too and looked really good in the performance. But you bring it up. Gunnar Nelson's one of these unique fighters to where there's not really an archetype of a Gunnar Nelson. There's not a lot of guys who are great karate strikers who focus on their boxing in karate because Gunnar Nelson... Conor McGregor. But he doesn't have the jiu-jitsu of Gunnar Nelson. That's the thing. Like, Gunnar Nelson is a world champion in jiu-jitsu. The problem is, Nelson has... Not poor synergy between his game. It's just karate and jiu-jitsu are pretty far apart on the MMA scale. And it's weird that those are the two things he excels at. Because there is a lot of it in between that he can struggle with. If you are a volume striker, you get on the inside of Gunnar Nelson and pound away at his body, go to his head too. Like you bring up, he's an accurate striker, so he can sit down on some of his counters and really make you pay when he lands. But I think this is a weird matchup for Gunnar Nelson because when I'd initially saw, oh, Brian Barberina coming in on short notice, I thought, oh, well, Gunnar Nelson's going to win this fight without a doubt. But the more I thought about it, Gunnar Nelson's not a guy who does extremely well in those ugly kind of fights. And you bring it up, Brian Barberina would have an ugly fight with basically anybody on the face of the earth. So, I think that's just a really fun fight for Gunnar Nelson to come back to because we will learn a lot like about him. Brian Barberina, a trash can, and an alley cat. Who wins? Brian Barberina is tougher than a... Like, Brian Barberina is probably the most like you watching this video of anybody on the UFC well, card. So, he moved permanently to North Carolina so he didn't have to travel all the time. Yeah. to train at Jim O with... We've talked about Jim O a lot. Exactly. I mean, Impa Kasanganai's trained out of there for a bit. Look at his faceplant knockout over with the PFL. Impa's back. Uh, you also have Joe Selecki, John Salter, and the boys. And when you do look at it for a guy like Bam Bam, that complements his skill set. We've never really seen in the UFC. He struggled with takedown defense the whole time. The fight, yeah. But when it does come to the purpose of a good Barbarina fight, a lot of striking, a lot of volume. He had a fight of the night against Jason Witt where he got taken down over and over and over again, but he still made it interesting with the striking. The thing for me for Nelson is, and you bring it up, February 23rd, it was announced by Big Marcel, Marcel Dorf on Twitter, that out was Daniel Rodriguez. I wish he would fight more often. I wish his fight. injuries would heal up. But out is Daniel Rodriguez in his Barbarina. Nelson's been away for about a year. And I went through Barbarina's record, and then I watched some of these fights. Now, Barbarina's a southpaw. Daniel Rodriguez, southpaw. Famous Gunnar Nelson's that. fought southpaws. He fought Takashi Sato, and he won. He fought Leon Edwards, and he lost. He fought Alan Joban, submitted him. He fought Demi and Maya, and he lost tremendously. He, he fought Rick Story, and he lost. And then he fought, way back when, a guy who's fighting at UFC Kansas City, that old guy. That's Zach Cummins. He beat Zach Cummins by submission. So Gunnar Nelson's face southpaws. He's 3-3 three and three against them. We'll see how Barbarain is able to do it. Because, again, you look at some of the losses that Gunnar Nelson has. Santiago Ponzinibbio, Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns. The synergy and the striking in those fights from the opponents were what was able to get it done. So Nelson comes into the fight a pretty big favorite. I didn't know that before right now. 
Nelson's a giant favorite. Brian Barbarian is a pretty big underdog, and obviously that speaks to Nelson's preponderance to taking the fights to the mat, and he looked amazing his last time out against Takashi Sato. So we have a look at the fan vote. Surprise to us as it is to you. Obviously, Barbarina's last fight against RDA didn't go his way. Tough matchup, though, for him, but that's a big step up. I'm going to say over-under 72.5% Nelson here. I think they'll be under. I think they're going to be under. 80% Gunnar Nelson. 867 Total votes, 80% Nelson, 69% by submission. For the 20% that have Barbarina, 51% by knockout. I don't know if the, the people out there that are watching this or listening on the plane, in the car, reading a book, sitting on the back deck, I don't know if they're going to be surprised by my surprise, but I'm surprised that Gunnar Nelson's that big of a favorite and that many people have picked him to win. I was too when I initially looked at the odds and the matchup, but the more you think about it, if Brian Barbarina fights the crazy pace that he normally fights at, he will still start to tire near the end of that third round. Again, we saw that in the Luke fight, and I know the Luke fight was very back and forth. Both guys got hurt, but Barbarina is one of those guys who just fights at such a high pace that, again, I but brought he, it up before. But he didn't tire in the Matt Brown fight. He didn't tire in the fight against Matt Robbie Lawler either. It doesn't 45. matter. Well, they it brought doesn't. the fight to him. When you're fighting 40-year-olds, they get tired in the third round, is my point. I just don't think Gunnar Nelson fights at a pace to where he's going to get himself tired. If this was on a full camp for Brian Barbarina to where, okay, for two straight months, I'm getting ready for Gunnar Nelson. I would pick Brian Barbarina in this fight. And I thought I was going to be the hipster and pick Barbarina. But I worry about him out fighting his own pace. And the thing is, when you're a high volume guy, it throws a lot of volume. Because Barbarina has good power. He's not an under average power puncher by any means. But he does rely on just throwing a lot at his, at his opponents to open up some of those shots. It leaves you open for the counter. And the thing about Gunnar Nelson is, if he is using his movement to the highest of abilities, he's going to evade a lot of those open shots from middle distance and really make you pay when you do close the distance so ever so slightly i have gunner nelson but i couldn't disagree with the odds anymore gunner nelson training out of mjolnir in iceland we, we don't necessarily see him at a sbg at this current juncture and the folks at mjolnir oh they'll do a dance number and put it out on youtube and make me question what the heck they're doing out of that gym now it worked for nelson's last time out and I have Nelson in the matchup based on his grappling. But if Barbarina goes out there and he does that pop, 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 and then he throws his right hand, switches it up, pop, pop, right hand, left hand, working the body, working the head. Brian Barbarina is a very live, uh, you know, and slept on fighter coming into this matchup. So Matt, both of us going with the Icelandic man in Gunnar Nelson. I think this is going to be a great fight. Justin Gaethje's going to fight Rafael Fazib. I can't wait for it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. An absolute banger in the co-main event, UFC 268, a possible fight of the year oh, yeah. on paper. We have the highlight, Justin Gaethje, former World Series champ, former multiple-time fight of the year winner in the UFC. Gaethje welcoming Rafael Fazeev to the Octagon in London. And Matt, for Fazeev, I mean, a guy whose record would be unblemished, if not for his UFC debut against Magomed Mustafaev, where he gets finished. So in Fazeev's wins, he's won, what, six straight? Five of those have been bonus-worthy, and incredible. you look at it. He beats Mark Chikasi in a fight of the night. He finishes Moicano. Fight of the night against Bobby Green. He knocks out Brad Riddell. And then he knocks out Rafael Dos Anjos in the fifth round good. of their matchup. That was back last July. Fazeev impressed the masses because the only knock that we could find... Everybody's forgotten about the Mustafaya fight. The only knock was... But his cardio in the third round against Bobby Green. His output was very consistent in his last fight against Dos Anjos. So much so that in that fight, two of the three judges had scored three rounds going into the fifth. Four Fazeev, one was split. 
you know, first two rounds, Fazeev, the next two, four, Dos Anjos, but Fazeev was able to go out there, put it on, and then when he landed those nice two shots, drops Dos Anjos, the referee was, whoa, 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 it's pretty well over. So, a giant wave of success for Fazeev, you know the bonuses for Justin Gaethje, six and four since he came over to the UFC, fought Michael Johnson, fight of the year, just right off the bat, he's six and four. Justin Gaethje has 10 UFC bonuses. It's absolutely wild. So a couple of mega gyms in this fight. You have Onyx Labs, uh, Justin Gaethje, Trevor Whitman, the chief corner. You know him for the kind of late career resurgence switches or a little bit of that from Kamaru Usman who went from Killcliffe. Sanford, which is where Fazeev has trained in the past. Now Gaethje, yeah, he's always been a Colorado guy. Very high-level training partner for Justin Gaethje. For Fazeev, spent a lot of time at Sanford, then Killcliffe. He's back where it is. He is the kickboxing coach at Tiger Muay Thai. Settled the differences. He's back there putting on a show, Matt. These two guys can strike. I know Gaethje has that. Can. Gaethje has the collegiate pedigree of the wrestling. Can we, we never... open it up talking about that, though? We never see it. He has a win over Kevin Kroon by picking him up and slamming him. We don't see it very often. He loves to bang. We disagree with this in a lot of capacities. And that's why I just want to open it up to a conversation. Not saying I'm right, not saying you're right. Justin Gaethje hasn't wrestled in his fights in a very long period of time. I wonder if that sword is still as sharp as it used to be. Because I know he has the foundational skill set of being a wrestler. But my problem is, if you're not training your wrestling day in and day out every single day. Like, think of even a Habib Nurmagomedov after he had retired. Remember those crazy videos of Islam Makhachev being like, This guy's crazy. He's still working us in the training room. And Habib's walking out of the sauna like, Alright, you guys ready to go in for some more? Like, I don't know if Justin Gaethje has been training his wrestling to that level. And I think that's a fair criticism for me to bring up. You want to know why? Because he doesn't do it in his fights. Like ever. And that's the problem with Justin Gaethje. I know it is a popular thing to do to bring up his wrestling background. If it walks like a duck though and talks like a duck, it probably is a duck. And to this degree, I'm at least saying this for this matchup. I'm sorry, people say quacks like a duck. Duck ducks don't talk unless they're the Affleck. Duck. No, but walk and talk rhyme at least. So if it walk and talks like a duck, it probably is a duck. My issue is I, not that I discount that Gaethje could out-wrestle Fazeev. The problem is, it's been a decade since I've seen Gaethje really go out there convincingly out-wrestle anybody. And the guys who have given Gaethje issue in the UFC are tremendous grapplers, don't get me wrong, the likes of Habib Nurmagomedov and Charles Oliveira. But think about Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier too. What are they amazing at? Boxing combinations in close. What is Fazeev amazing at? Boxing combinations in well, close. Now, I know Fazeev isn't able to threaten as much with some of those up-the-middle attacks. Now, I know Eddie Alvarez is able to hurt him with a knee up the middle. Poirier, a lot of uppercuts up the middle, followed by that left hook too. But Fazeev is a guy who, at the long range, can threaten you a lot with his own kicks. Now, to gauge his credit, a great leg kicker in his own right. But when they get close, I think that's when this fight's going to be at the most exciting. Gaethje has that devastating uppercut left hook combination of his own. And we know the combinations of Fazeev. I just don't know how this fight can't deliver. Like, I'm as excited for this fight as I have been for any fight. And you in the brought last up examples year. for Gaethje. The prime example for Fazeev is you saw it against Sonato Moicano. Moicano's going out there throwing that leg kick like Justin Gaethje. Fazeev closes the distance in tight, pop, pop, drops him. So to the body. The craziest part about this fight, though, Matt, is for Fazeev. We know that he can get these wins. He can outlast some of his opponents, which is a surprise because that Bobby Green fight, and I saw some of you on YouTube referencing that. For Justin Gaethje, though, it's utilizing his toughness. And I thought, what's the toughest position to play that's out there in a sport? And it's got to be a guy for nine innings that sits behind the plate 
in a crouch, sometimes without knee savers. He has to go out there, call the whole game, pick balls and strikes, make it difficult, and he's got to have really good cardio. And if he's a good hitter, that's all the more. So, Matt, I have a first example. It's an SGC. It's got the tuxedo, if you can see it there. This is the prime. This is the card that people want. It's a Yadier Molina rookie card, and I absolutely love it. It was a really good pickup. But then I thought, Matt, Yadier's a prime guy like Justin Gaethje. He was able to do it for so long at a high level. He went there in 2011, won a World Series, and then he went on a slow decline. I've got another example, though, Matt. This was given to me for Christmas. It was given to me for Christmas. It's a Blue Jays reflective. It's a Buck Martinez, Matt. And Buck Martinez... It can't like, be a has-been if you never work, right? No, this isn't has-been. That's not where I'm going with it. This is about toughness. Buck Martinez got slid into at home plate in the 70s. His leg was broken. He got that out, and then he threw it down to third base and got a second next. out. That's how tough Justin Gaethje is. He's a broken leg, throwing to third base and getting the second out. Gaethje is that guy. And I go back and I watch his fights and he gets rocked and he gets back in and he gets this and that and that and the other. You watch his fight against Charles Oliveira, nine seconds in, first straight right from Oliveira, wobbles Justin Gaethje. And then after that, what does Gaethje do? Drops Charles Oliveira once. The second time, he wobbles him to where Oliveira's wobbled, and then he sends himself to the mat to then try and Poor bait guy, Gaethje yeah. to come in. But you look at the knockout finish. It was the right hand that drops Gaethje. The delayed kind of hands drop, and then it ends up Oliveira's kind of in that sideways position, and he really rolls himself into the submission. Gaethje struggled at the UFC level against some power punchers, but you look some at the, the all-timers. You look at some of the wins that he has. I mean, the Chandler win was wild. That was a fight of the year back in 2021. His win over Tony Ferguson just put it the on Barbosa him. The Barbosa one was wild. The too. Barbosa fight was wild. Short the Cerrone fight. fight was quick and it was over. And the James Vick fight wasn't all that competitive, other than those long-range prodding kicks from just uh, James Vick. But for Gaethje. The big question mark is we've seen Fazib not lose any zip on the speed out of some of these shots. We've seen the power still be there. Can Gaethje, at this point, even though he is highly ranked, he's fought for the title twice now, can Gaethje match the speed of a guy like Fazib and make his power count to kind of back Fazib off? I'm fight? so happy you brought up the speed. I look at this fight very similar to how I looked at the third fight between Max Holloway and Volkanovski. Max Holloway is one of the best fighters in the world to this day, but... Volkanovski figured out, if I have any advantage between us, it's in the hand speed. So what am I going to do? When I get on the inside, I'm going to plant my feet. Because at that point, it does become more of a hand speed problem than it does a mixed martial arts issue. And for Fazeev, I do think he has that type of fight IQ to where he can get the fight to where he can succeed at. But the thing is, Justin Gaethje doesn't care about any of that. Like, Justin Gaethje is Jordan Alvarez in MMA. You're ahead by two runs. There's one guy on base. There's two outs. You're not worried about anything. And then this guy for the Houston Astros doesn't even play a position in the field comes up to the plate and hits a nuke fire there we go feet. you call in Air Jordan you call in Air Jordan so again Justin Gaethje is kind of like Air Jordan the thing that he does well he does supremely well I just worry about all the in-betweens all right Matt so we have a look at the odds Fazeev is heavily favored we have a look at the fan vote but Matt this one is a little bit different. I said it earlier. We threw out a couple of them to you out on our YouTube channel. And you guys do a great job of showing up in the community section all throughout Fight Week. We throw out polls, all sorts of great stuff. Almost a 1,000 total votes. 65% going with Vaziv. The top commenters that are out there. Uh, we've got one, Justin likes to stand and trade, but I don't think Vaziv will go that route. 
Maybe a takedown, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, Mr. Face, I think this is just kind of fight. Justin wins. That's my gut as of right now. Uh, let's try and find somebody else that we don't see very often. Constantinos is saying, Fazeev will make him look like a bum. Well, that's very rough. And Spinning Backfist saying, should be Rod Tang. I think Rod Tang will match up very well in this fight. Because, listen, I mean, Demetrius Johnson's just going to take you down. But these he guys, won't. they won't. So I'll throw a flag knee into an overhand. The fans are going with uh, Fazeev in the matchup. I tip my hand a little bit. I'm going with uh, Fazeev in the matchup as well. If it's just a stand-up battle, I think Fazeev can get the win. I haven't seen Gaethje go for slams. And that's the craziest part. I said, he slammed Kevin Kroom. That was Gaethje's pro debut. But not that long ago, when he's taking on Habib, when he's taking on Charles Oliveira, I had to cleanse my palate from all the wild fights. And I really talked about it a lot on this channel. I went back and watched amateur Gaethje fights. I watched the start of his fights before World Series. And he was doing that. He's picking he guys up, throwing them down, landing ground and pound. He wasn't the the brawling type of striker that we've seen kind of get him up to the top. So I'm eager to see if Gaethje at some point goes to that because that's going to be a weakness for Fazeev even though he's shown better takedown defense as and his career's gone To on. me, it's like, can Zach Cranky go back and throw 97 again? Probably not. And Bet you I didn't just, think this was going to be a baseball Exactly. Video. I just think Gaethje, too much of the skill set has eroded at this point. And I do worry about him eating the shots from Fazeev. Again, you bring it up. And for just cause, Fazeev gave you question marks as to where his cardio was throughout his UFC tenure. But the way he was able to go out there and finish Brad Verdell, and I know a lot of guys here might not think the most of Brad Verdell. He'd been finished a number of times by the time he had, or was done his UFC tenure. But the way Fazeev finished him was not just by the kick. It was by outthinking him. And I think that's something that goes unnoticed a lot in MMA. Fazeev is not only a guy who has great knockout power, great hand speed, he's a smart guy for MMA too, and I think he does think about the game of MMA, and for those reasons, I have Fazeev. A good opportunity with Justin Gaethje is a pretty big underdog looking to right the ship. Matt, just like Buck Martinez now, oh. I'm saying, get up, ball! For Rafael Fazeev, and if people don't know me, a little inside baseball, I do a Buck Martinez, an actual impression all the damn time. We're both going with Adaman in the fight. Matt, in the main event of the evening, the trilogy, the be-all, the end-all, the man who they were calling the GOAT, Kamaru Usman, looking to win back that belt against Birmingham's own Leon Edwards. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. August 20th, Salt Lake City. Matt, the fans got to show the craziest finish to a title fight you've ever seen because the announcers, they were announcing Leon Edwards' obituary. He lands the head kick and his fortunes are changed. Coming up this weekend, the trilogy bout, the main event, UFC 2 86. It's finally time from London, and Leon Edwards on home soil gets his chance to defend the belt. As always, one half of your hosting duo, Craig Allen, Twitter and Instagram at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective socials, Matt Allen FNP. Matt, we couldn't be more excited about this welterweight fight up. because in the first fight, we'll get you up to speed. Kamaru Usman out wrestles Leon Edwards. That's how it goes. In the second fight, for four rounds, Kamaru Usman beats. Can we say this? No, round one. Edwards beats Usman, gets on top of him, does well with his own wrestling. But yes, throughout the next three rounds, Kamaru slowly starts to dominate. The tide definitely shifted. Usman gets it done. Fifth round, he's still getting it done. And then Edwards is able to just change the fortunes. The crazy, uh, you know, video with his family back home where he's got the belt after the fight. I got emotional watching that on Twitter. It was absolutely amazing to see. And now, just these months later, I mean, August was their last fight. They get to match up once again. 
again in England. You have Onyx Labs' own Trevor Whitman train, Kamaro Usman, taking on Team Renegade BJJ's Leon Edwards. And we talked about Team Renegade a couple of different times. You have Jake Hadley on this card that's trained out of there in the past. You have some other guys as well. But Fabian, Leon's brother, trains there. I mean, you've also seen Tom Breeze training out of that gym as well. And he's had success outside of the UFC since. So, Matt, for Leon Edwards, wave of success. Everybody's finding all of this, uh, you know, love, adoration, the winning streak. It's just kind of continued for these guys. And now you come into this matchup where the seeds of doubt have crap in. And for Kamaru Usman, going into that fight with Leon Edwards, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to keep defending the, the Walter Wade belt. A lot of people are starting to say Usman's better than George St. Pierre. He's the greatest of all time. By a lot, it was like a lot of Dana White. No, and it was a lot more than just Dana White. It was the if conversation. If you know, you know. And Edwards, it wasn't middleweight. It could have been light heavyweight. Or sorry, for Usman, it wasn't uh, middleweight. It could have been light heavyweight. A lot of things were, were you know, setting themselves on the path. And for Usman, too, I mean, he's already been credited as an actor. It was starting to get a little bit crazy, kind of like Adesanya when he fought Jan Blahovic, and Usman didn't even have to switch a weight class for that loss. I don't know a lot about hockey, but I can bring up a lot of basketball examples. Do you know what I start to worry about with a guy like Kamaru Usman? At what point at the Brandon Roy injury point is he on? Because for Kamaru, those stories about him not being able to walk upstairs, only being able to go backwards, stay on them, not being able to stand on things like concrete for long periods of time. Yeah, but I have a hard time on concrete. That's fine, Craig. You don't fight people inside cages for any minutes at all, much less Leon Edwards for 25 of them. So I don't really think you should compare yourself to a guy like Kamaru Usman ever again. But I do get concerned when a guy is 35 years of age and when a lot of the storylines we do hear about him being about, hey, he can't be the guy that he used to be because of the athleticism, the injuries are starting to pile up. And that was a conversation even leading into the second Leon Edwards fight. I brought this up uh, earlier on kind of about the Joanne Wood, Luana Carolina fight about how, hey, we both had Shevchenko to win her last matchup, but we had both said she is starting to show a couple signs of decline. And I don't want to say Usman wasn't at the best point of his career because he was knocking guys out. It looked like his boxing had really done the upgrade to match what his wrestling was at, but... I think it is fair to start bringing up some of those questions about a guy who is 35 years of age, who the injuries are starting to become a part of the conversation. And I will say this, I was very surprised to see where the odds were, especially when we started doing this video, because after the second fight, I thought Leon Edwards didn't solve the puzzle, because that's a little extreme, but he has all the answers to the quiz now. Not that the quiz isn't extremely hard and will take 25 minutes to solve, but you know what I mean. Can you wrestle Kamaru Usman? No. But he can hold his own in some of the areas. I, I think that's fair to say. Can he outstrike Kamaru Usman? Without a doubt. And I do think for Edwards, this will be an interesting thing to keep your eye on. I'm not saying I'm picking Edwards because of this or I'm not picking Usman because of this. But I will be curious to see how Edwards fights that first round. Not to where he's going to go for takedowns like we saw at the end of the first round the first, or the second time they fought. But... I'll be curious if Edwards will be very aggressive with his own kicks because if he goes for a lot of kicks and starts kicking the knee and the legs of Usman, it will start to stabilize him as the fight goes on and make it a lot harder for Usman to get some of those takedowns in. And you know how good Leon Edwards' pure boxing is, especially when he faces off against a lot of these guy. strikers. Very accurate with his shots. His head kicks are great. You saw that. Both of those things in the fight against Bilal Muhammad before it ended up in a no contest. For Leon Edwards... It was such a nice run, and it, the, the win streak was so great all the way up through, but it didn't really get accentuated by not having bonuses. That was kind of a thing, and he has one over Seth Bazinski. 
And he has one over Kamara. They Usman. were dominant, but they weren't like show stopping. Hey, tell all your friends about and, it. And when you look at Usman, he's got a fight in the night in the first Colby Covington fight. He's got performance bonuses against RDA, against Burns, and against Masvidal. And you look at those fights. I mean. Covington, Masvidal, and Burns, those are title fights right there. So Usman, he was just kind of pouring gas on the fire. He was able to go out there and really strike for strike's sake against Gilbert Burns, hurt him, finish him. The fight against Masvidal, he cold cocked him and sent him flying. And then he really did look good in both of those Covington fights, though... Covington had success with his own boxing, and especially in the oh, first yeah. fight between the two of them. The first fight, Colby Covington was on his way to winning the fight, so it seemed. And then it was Usman finishing him near the end, just like Edwards did to Usman. So, Matt, in this matchup, trilogy bout, Usman gets to go back to the drawing board. I would assume hot and heavy and early with the takedown attempts. In this I think game. we'll see a lot of wrestling from Usman, because the thing about Usman is, even if you were his biggest believer and you looked at just the like the snapshots of his knockouts... They're not the cleanest technique-wise. Oh, like, that one against Masvidal. But no, the run against Masvidal is not great technique by Usman. It's a defensive liability for Masvidal. He throws a lazy check hook and doesn't keep his right hand up at all. So for Usman, he is able to capitalize on his opponent's mistakes. But I do wonder at this point with Leon Edwards, they say this a lot in boxing. This is a Teddy Atlas quote. It's, hey, when you win a title in boxing, you then get 30% better just because of confidence. Like, you getting that belt helps you kind of upgrade and become to the next level. And I'm not saying that, okay, just without that piece of gold over Usman's uh, shoulder and with it on Edwards, it gives Edwards the... the uh, the edge, I guess, psychologically. But I do think the fact that Edwards now has a very realistic game plan as to how to win this third fight is going to help him a lot. Because going into the second fight, what were you telling Leon Edwards? Defend the takedown and, like, watch out for the power shots from the outside. But you still really have to worry from the outside. I don't think Leon Edwards is going to have to be as defensively sound from the outside. And I do think it will allow him to take some more risks in his own fighting style. Well, you did mention the odds. Kamaru Usman is still favored in the rematch. But it's somewhat similar to the fight that Amanda Nunes had against exactly. Juliana Pena. They're at a much discounted level. You have a look at the votes, Matt. And this is from our YouTube community tab. We throw it on out to you guys and threw it out on Saturday. Lots of you showed up. 1,200 total votes so far. Yeah, only 59% going with Kamaru Usman, 41% with Leon Edwards. Out of the comments section, Tyler Ferreira, you're there every week saying, very close fight for me. I'll give Leon the slight edge due to concerns uh, with Kamaru's knees and lingering effects of the knockout like that. So pumped for it. Hot dogs, hard to see a path to victory for Leon. It is one of the greatest comebacks, upsets for a reason. Really uh, Imagine Wagons, great name, saying Usman will play it safe and not risk anything on the feet. It will look like Usman Masvidal won. Uh, and just my two cents rematch was a fluke. The next mauling by Usman will be nothing of the sort and new boys. So a lot of people varied and the votes are kind of, you know, not 50-50, but much closer than they were the last time. Oh, yeah. We'll give Topology. They're really close. Really to close. 61% Usman on Topology, 59% Usman fighting eight picks. So Matt, ultimately, what's the pick here? I feel like that breakdown has been very Rocky-centric, but... I agree with a lot of our commenters. I do think Usman is going to go back to kind of what got his bread buttered in the first place. And I hate to admit this, but I do think this will be the case. I don't think this is going to be the most aesthetically pleasing, like, fight to watch ever. Especially coming off Gaethje versus Fazeev, which is going to be just, like, power combinations left and right. I really do think Usman, for him to have the best chance to win this fight, is going to have to use the wrestling, use that top control. It would be nice to see Usman use the ground and pound a little bit more, because for as dominant as a wrestler and a grappler as he has been, 
Roman. He's not a guy who's going to go out there a la Fabrizio Verdum, get on top of you, elbow you, and go for the submission. I know different kind of grapplers, not the best example by me, but you get the idea with a guy like Usman. It is a lot more top control over the damage or the submission, but I do have Usman at the end of the day. I hope that I did give a good game plan for a guy like Leon Edwards, but I do ever so slightly have Kamaru Usman to get the belt back, but I don't think he's going to defend it five or six times after this. I think the welterweight division, a lot of guys are starting to catch up to that kind of championship level, so I'll be really interested to see what happens after this fight, but I do ever so slightly have Usman. I tried to do the Verdum smile. It did not land. It was very creepy. So Matt, in this matchup, Ever so slightly with Kamaru Usman, but again, I, I don't necessarily love the odds where they're at. I absolutely love the fight because Leon Edwards, you look at it, and he's a guy that with Team Renegade BJJ and all the guys that are there, you can threaten with things off your back, even if you are taken down, and you can threaten with some strikes, then get out of bad positions. We've seen it done by Edwards in the past, but we've also seen Usman in the three-round fight just be able to really ground it he's out, so make strong. it a little boring, and that was a big-time fight for Usman early on in his UFC tenure off of winning the Ultimate Fighter. So some really great fights on this card, a lot of time with Fight Night Picks talking oh, yeah. about them. Uh, six total debuts, 15 total fights, You've got 10 ranked fighters that are on the card. If anything changes throughout the week, we'll do our best we'll to update it. those. Last week, you had a short notice switch up. Carlson Harris got an opponent in Jared Gooden. So if anything like that happens this week, we'll do our best to be out there as quick as we can get the tape studied on the notes and so on and so forth we have question mark kicks two hours before the prelims that one's on saturday you can find us here on youtube with fight night picks at fight night picks twitter and instagram as well for any of those updates a big weekend of fights you're going to want to keep it locked in with fight night picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it.